person of the Lord. Because you know that whatever God is doing in the lives of these people, it, can, it, it has ripple effect. Praise the name of the Lord. It has ripple effect. Praise God. When a home is settled, it has ripple effect. When somebody is whole, the person that was hurting, when that person receives wholeness, when that person is stronger, when the person is healed, then it affects other people. Hallelujah. So a single woman who has received wholeness, who has received strength, will impact other people. Praise the name of the Lord. The married woman will also impact other people. And whether you are divorced, it will, it will impact other people. Praise the name of the Lord. So I'm always excited to see what God is going to do in the lives of people when we have programs like this. Hallelujah. So I'm just going to give you my welcome address. I will not take too much of your time. I welcome you all to the second edition of our Demystifying Singleness, Marriage and Divorce Conference 2022. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This conference is designed to arm both males and females, irrespective of their marital status, by exposing them to information that can help them to make a success of their lives using God's word as their basis. Hallelujah. It is true that every one of us will start life as singles. Is that not so? Every single one of us will start life as a single. Irrespective of the trajectory that we choose to follow, we will all end up as singles again. You see, that is the, that is the cycle of life. Hallelujah. Irrespective of how you started, we all start up as singles. Now, no matter the trajectory you take, whether you take the, I want to be single trajectory, or I want to get married trajectory, or I've tried all I can, and God sees that I have tried everything that I can. Trajectory, and then you have to separate, or the person becomes widowed. At the end of the day, we will all end up as singles, whether as a male or as a female. Praise the name of the Lord. However, each stage of our lives have been enshrouded in mysteries. That is only when we are equipped with the right information that we can make a success of it and become testimonies to the glory of God our Father. Let me state categorically here that no marital status is superior to the other. None. Hallelujah. No marital status is superior to the other. Because you see some people say, oh, marriage, marriage, marriage. Jesus was single. And you cannot beat, you cannot beat these achievements. Hallelujah. So no marital status is superior to the other. Praise God. So, if you choose to remain single, you, now, you are not inferior to the married. There's one of my mother's cousins. I don't know what happened, but I know he's older than my mother. And my mother is 72 this year. And he was never married. Never married. And he rose to the highest level you can in the academia. Hallelujah. 
Neither is being divorced a death sentence or a proof of inability or failure. Now we need to say this because most times when people hear, oh, this person is undergoing a divorce, people will begin to ask, what did she do? What happened? What did he do? If they've gotten an, an, and trust me, in this church we are not pro-divorce. We believe that you can make success of your marriage. But, if you need to get to that point where separation is best, is the best option, you are not inferior to the marriage. Because you'll be surprised that some marriages are just marriages by name. So, we do not want anyone to feel oh, inferior that, oh, whatever your status, God loves you. Hallelujah. So last year, we had a wonderful time. The speakers were talking about the challenges they faced either as singles, married, and divorced, and how they overcame. We were encouraged not to give up on life, irrespective of whichever state we were in. And one of the lessons I personally learned from that conference last year, and which has stayed with me even since last year, was that even a broken crayon can still color. It hasn't left me. Even a broken crayon can still color. So whatever state you are, if you feel you are broken, there is still something that God can bring out of your life. There's a beauty that God can bring out of your life. And you don't have to be in that state. You can receive healing today. Praise God. Today we'll be discussing a very pertinent topic that cuts across genders and marital statuses. Domestic violence is an evil rampage in our society. Why is this so? What can we do about it? And how can we get help? We have invited speakers, seasoned speakers and panel members who will be sharing with us on this subject of discourse today. God is also said to touch everyone that has been hurting over the years with his healing power. He will reach you in your innermost place where nothing else but his power can penetrate. So that at the end of today, we will be perfectly whole. It is my prayer that no one will return the same way they came and everyone will be ministered to according to their needs in Jesus' name. Once again, I welcome you all to our demystifying singleness, marriage, and divorce conference in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be your MC today. Um, I'm a multimedia journalist and a poet. I'm also a certified family counselor and career coach. So, let's open our Bibles to John 10.10. 10. If you're there, can you read it, please? John 10.10. 10. Okay. I'll read from the New Living Translation. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Praise the Lord. Like Pastor Shadi has pointed out, 
and as the title of the program implies, perfectly whole. We're already perfectly whole in God, you know, and we're just here to learn more tips to walk towards that perfect wholeness. Praise the name of the Lord. So as you're here today, you might be asking, oh, I'm not a victim, I'm not this, I'm not that, but just listen. We all have one thing or the other that we can learn to be perfectly whole in all areas of our lives. So I want you to please actively participate in this. And those of you who are watching us online, please send in your questions if you have any. And those of you sitting here, if you have any questions, please write them down and give to the ushers. Every question, there is no stupid question. You can ask any question. And it doesn't have to be something that happened to you. You can ask questions on behalf of other people. Praise God. To get this done today, we have a rich panel of people who have experience working with people who have all form of um, challenges, who are trying to be better human beings, who are trying to be better with their lives. I'm going to start with Mrs. Olive Oluwagbe Mileke. Please just... Thank you, ma'am. Please sit down, ma'am. She is a clinical psychologist who has for about 10 years now worked with a wide demography of people. She has worked with children, adolescents, adults, married couples, and the elderly. She's committed to using her professional skills to help people with physical, mental, emotional, and behavioral challenges that can serve as impediments to human growth. Thank you, ma'am, for obliging us. Next, um, our next guest is not here yet. She's Dr. Adebayo Adebomi. She's an ear, nose, and throat, and then head and neck surgeon. She's doubly satisfied, uh, certified for both specialties, and a fellow of many national and international specialized medical bodies. She is a facilitator for ENT training for the Lagos State Health Service Commission, and also consults for both government and privately owned hospitals. Let's just clap for her as we arrive, as we await our arrival. Next, I have the only man in the midst of the women on the panel and my brother, Mr. Edward Fagbo. Mr. Fagbo has over 18 years work experience spanning accounting and auditing, telecommunications and the development sector. He currently heads the Sustainability and Impact Report Unit of MTN Foundation. He has been a speaker on many platforms and is passionate about coaching and mentoring young people. <laughs> Next is Sister Tisila Lola Vivo Adeni. She's not here yet. She is a merchant of hope, a lawyer, and public administrator. She has spent 10 years in public service with the Lagos State Government serving in different capacities. She has been instrumental in ensuring a coordinated response to sexual and gender-based violence in Lagos State. She currently serves as the pioneer executive secretary of the Lagos State Domestic and Sexual Violence Response Agency. So you know that she has a lot to share as we await her arrival. Uh, next on my list is my dear sister, Ademumi Alode. 
She is a seasoned legal practitioner, a chartered company secretary with over 16 years post-call experience. Away from her day job, she is particularly passionate about raising the next generation of men and fathers, propagating the cause of the boy child on social media and other speaking platforms such as this. She is the team lead of Boys and Men of Honor, an organization that focuses on raising boys to become honorable men. Finally, on our panel today, in Yoruba, they will say, Egunlani Kerry Igbalo. Pastor Olushade Porotua. Pastor Sh we are all here because Pastor Shade decided to follow through with this vision, and we're grateful to for that. Pastor Lushade Porotua, as we know, is the associate pastor at Kingsville Church here in Lagos, where she co-pastors with her husband, Reverend Porotua. She heads the Extraordinary Women's Fellowship, a non-denominational ministry with the vision of building women to lead extraordinarily in all aspects of life. She is the convener of the Extraordinary Women's Conference, an annual conference for women and the demystifying singles, marriage, and divorce conference. This one aimed at helping people navigate life as a transition throughout their different marital statuses. Thank you, moms. <laughs> and sir, for obliging us. We're going to start with a short video um, titled How I Almost Destroyed My Marriage. Thank you, technical department. Are we ready to do that now? Thank you. So, so my mom now, you know, calls me on the phone. Even my dad calls. My mom calls me on the phone, and I said, "When you get married?" And I got young age. I was nineteen when I met him. We went out for five years before we got married, you know. So, and the 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 home I came from had a role to play with yeah. the way you know I I was yeah. I became, you know. So I grew up in a in a home where, you know, you you see your parents fight. You know, so, and I did, I never knew that, you know, like my mom, maybe you say was hot tempered or anything. It's after I wrote the book and I was telling her what I wrote because they saw it on Facebook. Oh, so they saw it on Facebook and they're like, what did she do? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of, so, mm -hmm. so my mom now, you know, calls me on the phone. Even my dad calls me. My mom calls me on the phone and I start telling her that, you know, what, what's the content, the content of, of the, the book. book. And she said, well, it's really true. If, if it's going to help another family. Actually, when, you know, those days I used to be very um, hot-tempered, yeah. you know. And I never knew my mom was hot-tempered. Hot you know, as children, we just saw them fight. I just thought that was, that was just how you know, it was. Yeah. That's how it was supposed to, to be. be. So I grew up, you know, with that, you know, that that's how things are, you know, are done. That's, it's only when you start 
fighting physically. That's, that's when things, uh, you know, and that's when things have gone too far. For you can shout, you can get angry, you can, you know, raise your voice. So it was a normal thing for me. So my surprise was when I got married and it all became an issue. And I'm like, I've been like this all these years. Everybody, has, everybody loves me the way I am. So why is it now a problem? You know, so that was that. That was me. You know, the me. That was what formed the book. Mm. So basically, it's just me sharing my experiences. And you know, another thing was that I loved going for uh, marriage classes, relationship classes. You know, it, you know, I started praying. I said in the book, I started praying when I was sixteen. Yes. To, to, get to get married. Yes. So I started praying quite early. So I was preparing because this marriage. And why I was preparing was because of where I was coming from. So I didn't want to make the same mistake. When we were growing up, we'll be crying when we when we saw when our parents. Them, when yeah, you saw so, them fighting. Yeah, so we'll cry, you know, and like, oh, daddy, stop, you know, leave mommy, you know, all of that. So I knew it wasn't right. So I always tell God, please, I want a peaceful man. I want a peaceful home. So I'll always go for the classes. But the problem was that in, in such classes, they don't tell you, they just tell you, um, you know, uh, five things to look out for in a man. You know, all those prescriptions, they give you prescriptions yeah. and not telling you the real thing. Mm. So I, I never heard, the things I put down in my book, I never heard them. If I heard them, I'm sure it would have helped me. You have a weakness and society is validating it. That so society is validating your weakness doesn't mean that your weakness is right. Is right. I, I said it that I had two people offer me um, to, uh, to sponsor me actually in uh, in school, <laughs> in to, school. To, to study law. One was before marriage, the other one was while I was married. So imagine, I mean, of marriage, I'm, my husband is complaining, and someone and is someone telling is me, saying, go, go and go. study law. I'm you going to pay. Well. You can't, you know, because I could argue. So when I argue, you can't win me in an argument. <laughs> and it's not because I'm arguing with facts, but just because I will give up. So you will get tired. <laughs> so it might even be wrong, but you're angry. Oh, yes. That's wrong. Oh, yes. And you will get tired, so you will now, you will back out. And I'm like, okay, I've won. So it was always about winning. Hmm. You know, so that also, you know, it, it really played. And imagine, you you know, when you're married to a man, yeah. you, you do such things. A man wants to, at times, they, at times they just want to say something. And whatever and they you say, just, you just you just take it. Yes. Everything, even whether you like it or not. You know, so, but there's nothing you say that I'm going to take because yeah, I have an opinion. True. I always had an opinion. So it was a problem. Um, because I used, I usually would be very angry. So at times I would, um, you know, the, the problem is that when you're angry, you don't even know what you do. You forget people that are angry forget that, yes. easily. It's the it's people that you did it, did it to that will remember the things you yeah, did. So there are a lot of things that I did that I can't remember. But... But, you know, like when I discuss my husband, my husband will tell me, and I'm like, that. Yeah, I'll even tell him, <laughs> because now I know I can't do that again. Mm. But I can remember when we got married, the first week we got married, um, uh, then he was working with the United yes, Nations. Yeah. And um, he went to Abuja. He said, let's go to Abuja together. So I went with him. And for some reason, you know, he, he left, he went to work. Mm -hmm. I really don't even know what my problem was that day. <laughs> you know, maybe because he left me in the hotel and didn't probably maybe plan on how I'm going to eat or I don't, I, I really I don't really remember, I, I can't remember what, it, what was. it was that was upsetting me. But I know it was just because he left me and he didn't call, maybe he didn't check he up, didn't on check the up throughout the whole day. So, you know, as an angry person that I was, I was already boiling mm. and I was just waiting for him to come back. So when he came back, the look on my face alone would have already told him that there's already a problem. And I started nagging, I started complaining. There was nothing he could tell me that could, 
you know, pacify me. I just kept complaining and complaining. And at some point, he just went and sat at the corner, you know, like in a hotel where the bed is and the phone. He just went there, sat there and started crying. And it was when he started crying that I just... I just discovered, okay, maybe I've taken it too far. I'm like, mm. oh, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This was because the first week. This was just our first yes. week in marriage, you know. And things like, you know, like this one, he, he told me, I, you know, that you I did remember. it. I can't remember I did it. He said he could be one of those days. Still the first, you know, that first um, week, mm -hmm. you know, first week of our marriage. And I was so upset, you know, and I broke the plates in the kitchen. You know, I got so angry, I just entered the kitchen and, you know, from shattered and shattered plates. Sincerely, I can't believe I could do that kind of thing, but I did it actually, you know. Oh, you know, things like that, you know. I, I, I usually would get angry, I would bang the door at him. So he'll be talking to me and... and you said you would walk out. I'll walk out. Talking. Yeah, when he's talking to me, I'll just, I'm like, I can't take this anymore, you know. It's, it's, it's getting... So I'll just ignore him, walk out, and I'll make sure I bang the door. So these are the kind of things I did. And... I don't think any man, there's no man that will want to feel that way mm. because it also communicates disrespect. Yes, which was a chapter you wrote in the book as well. Yes, so I talked about disrespect, things I did, you know, to show that, you know, I would, I would, okay, you were talking about anger, now we have moved to disrespect, disrespect. you know, so maybe I will use, there's this thing that they say, I don't know how to explain it, but I try to explain in the book, you know, when you use your nose and you push it up, you know, when someone's talking to <laughs> you. Okay, 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 so you just use your nose to, you know, do like this, you know, so he's talking and I'm like doing all of that to in him. In front of him? In front of him, oh, right, in front of him, so he you sees it. <laughs> yes, yes, so, you know, he sees it and he complains and I'm like, oh, I'll give an excuse for why I did whatever, you know, mm. did that. And my, and disrespecting him, I didn't, I, I didn't just do it, you know, in secret. I did I disrespected him in the public, you know, I could talk to him anyhow in front of people. And I, I my husband had always been a pastor, not like he, I, I had, I knew him, met as, him, I as, met him pastor. as a pastor. So you can imagine, you know, that kind of, it was even people, you know, that I knew, maybe like older women that would tell me, no, you know, you don't you talk, don't like, talk like this in front of people, people, you know, and all of that. And yet, you know, at times I couldn't even understand what they're saying and I'll be making excuses for why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know. So this, this really, this, this really ate deeply into our marriage and it really affected us. Bitterness is... Is, is the elder brother of anger. Mm -hmm. So when you, if you're an angry person, if you don't deal with your anger and you allow it linger, it turns to bitterness. That's just what bitterness is. Anger that has not been, dealt, been with. dealt with. So I had, I have, I, I, I was that person, but I didn't know that I was that kind of person until I got married. So, you know, it's like when people offend me or make me upset and I don't maybe like tell them and, and I just, it, yes, you know, I cook it in my heart and it's yeah. there. So it just keeps growing, mm. you know, without me knowing. Then I just, I'm just bitter, you know, about, you know, I just become bitter. Mm. And it was my husband that started telling me that, see, you're, you're actually, you're a bitter person. You know, you're <laughs> a bitter, you know. No. And I'm like, no, no, how can I? You know, <laughs> and you know, you, you know. Because in all of this, you were born again. I was born again. You were oh, born again, spiritual, talking, talking, Christian. Oh, I've been married for over 10, ten years. years. So the, this, my change just started not too long ago. Wow. Yes. It just started, let's say, in seven, the seventh year. That's Hallelujah. really, so you can imagine how long, you know, because I see people that will even tell me, oh, I've tried three years, four years. It's not working. I don't think it could work. At times, you know, it, 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 
it, it takes even longer because the only time change can come is even when the person realizes that the person has a problem. Exactly. So it depends on how long exactly. it will take you to take realize you. Exactly. You know, that you have a problem. Yeah. So for me, when that's, when it happened was when I just figured out and saw how I was really, because actually it's real, the word real, mm -hmm. I, it's, it's it, yes, it's catchy, but that was what, that was, what was, happening. was happening. You know, when I discovered what my actions, you know, or inactions was doing to my marriage. Yeah. So I just figured out, you know, like the Bible will say, a wise woman builds her home, a foolish woman tears yeah, it down. You know, and, I, and I actually said in my book that, you know, the foolish woman, you don't need anybody to help you. You can do it all by oh, yourself. Praise the Lord. As we heard from that video, um, that lady was born again. She was spirit-filled, demon-chasing, tongue-talking. She's actually a pastor and a pastor's wife. So, you know, this is not about your status or who you are or anything. Um, and, and one thing I held on to what she talk, talked about is resentment. When resentment becomes bitterness and then you start acting out in anger, you start becoming a stranger in your own body. I hope we learned one or two lessons from that. Thanks to Pastor Inojeri for that. Um, and next I'm going to call on um, Mr. Shegunfagbo to briefly give us a male perspective to domestic violence. All right, thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for the privilege. Thank you very much, ma. Yesterday, when I was told I will have to speak, I was asking myself, what, what are you going to say? Then I said, if I knew, I would have told you that there's somebody I would recommend that you should invite, Mrs. Adeniwi, and I'm glad that she's here today. <laughs> Mrs. Adeniwi and I have been speaking on phone, but we've never met. This is Edward Fagbon, the speaker at MTN Foundation. <laughs> glad to meet you, finally. So, um, it's good to be here this morning, and um, the, the topic we're talking about is something that has really destroyed a lot of homes and destroyed a lot of people. And I'm glad that um, we have some experts in the house who will be able to talk to you because I'm sure Mr. Adeni has engaged quite a lot with couples, individuals, and all of that. And I have some friends who have also met a team. So from the man's perspective, you know, when we talk about domestic violence or we talk about abuse, um, the regular victims are the women. And um, it's usually not a, a very sweet experience. When you hear how women have been abused in their marriages, um, you tend to be very emotional, particularly if it becomes a very violent one. And you're like, uh, who is that beast? Who is that beast? And, and things like that. So, but you see, so we had a conversation some time ago in my office, and one lady said something. She said, who raised the beast? That beast was raised by a mother and a father. And we indulged them when they were young, and we allowed them to become the beast in their marriages at the end of the day. But what I have been asked to talk about is on the side of the man. Are men also abused? 
and the answer is yes. Though the, the, the proportion of male abuse to female abuse is quite small, however, there are still men who are being abused in their marriages or in relationships. I just saw a typical example there. And classical example particularly coming from somebody whom you would never expect. She's a pastor. She's a Christian. So how can a Christian abuse, how can a pastor abuse her, her husband and all of that? And men, because we have ego issues, when a man is being abused, he can't talk. The woman can talk. She can show emotions. So, for example, if a woman is abused at home, she comes to the office the next day, you are likely going to know if you're a very intelligent and smart person. You will know from her countenance, from her emotions. In short, sometimes she will break down and go into a corner and go and cry. And her friends will say, what's going on? And she will say, it's XYZ again. What happened again? But when a man is abused, you're not likely going to know that that man is abused. Because he will just walk like a normal man, but he's dying inside. So I'll give you an example. I have a friend whose father was abused by his mother. He was the youngest child at that time. He didn't understand what it meant at that time. The older ones knew what was going on. and So he was always on the side of mommy. Because being the little one and, you know. But later on in life... And he began to understand certain things and he got to understand that there's something called abuse. And he said, oh, so my father was actually abused. But the, the issue is that he himself is also being abused in his marriage. It has make, made him so timid, very timid. It has affected his, it, it, it has affected his relationship kind of with other people, particularly with the opposite sex. So the challenge again for him is that most of his bosses are females. So I didn't know initially when we were in a team together, when his former boss, the female, he would complain and complain about this lady. And I'm like, but she's a nice person. There's nothing wrong with her. He would keep complaining and keep complaining. So the present boss, sometime last, um, last year, 2021, after the covid they were told that people should just go and leave. People should go and leave. And towards December, people were going on leave. Everybody in the team were just applying for leave and going on leave. And he was left. He couldn't talk. And um, when it was his turn, he went to the boss. And the boss said, no, 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 you can't go on leave. Oh, everybody has gone on leave. Da, 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 da. And she wasn't doing it out of wickedness or anything. But... As a manager, you have four people in your team. Three people have already gone on leave. And one person says he wants to go on leave. The typical thing is that you will tell him not to go on leave. Wait for others to come. He could not explain himself. He, could, if, if he would feel confronted and he would just go into his shell. His daughter was not feeling fine. The, the boss he was taking the daughter to the hospital. And whilst he was about driving to the hospital, the boss called and said, ah, there's an issue. You have to be in the office. Ha. Instead of him to say, the woman will not kill you now. Just explain and say, this is what is going on. Instead, he will call friends and say, this woman has come again. This woman has come again, doesn't know what is going on in your house. The woman is just calling you because of work. Maybe if you had been able to engage her and talk with her, she will understand. So, the challenge now for him is that when he meets people in meetings, the moment he's trying to make a point and a woman talks 
and tries to counter that. Ah, Jesus, I beg, I don't want Wala. Women are like that. So, it's because he's on the soft side. He's calm. He's a gentle person. But imagine if he was not a calm guy. He'd become very violent too. The next thing you begin to see is that there'll be fisticuffs in the marriage. There'll be kicking and blowing and all of that. Then, if you are not even careful in some, in some instances, I'm sure maybe Mr. Adeniri will speak to this bit later, better later, you begin to think that he is the real abuser in the marriage. So, men also go through abuses in marriages or in relationships, but a lot of the time, they are not bold enough to be able to speak about it because society will look at them and feel like they are weak. So, they are dying in silence. So, some of them, when they get pushed, please, when it's almost time, just tell me, let me know. So, when some of them are almost pushed to the wall, they become violent. And their own kind of violence can now go to the extreme. Because the thing has been growing inside and growing inside and growing inside. Nobody to talk to. In short, when you even talk with some of your friends who are your male friends and you tell them this is what is happening to you in your marriage, they will even laugh at you. They will tell you you are not a man. I I can't take that with me. I will beat that woman. Who is she? Then next time you don't want to talk about it again. I'm sure we'll talk about this much more later. Thank you very much. Thank you, Roshegun, for that uh, male perspective. And also in that line, I would like to call on um, Sister Mumi Alode. As I, when I introduced that earlier, I said, um, please clap if you want to. <laughs> when I introduced that earlier, I said she's the team lead of Boys and Men and Honor, of Honor, an organization that focuses on raising boys to become honorable men. So briefly, tell us much more about men. Good morning once again. I will try to um, go through the many things on my mind and that I have written in 10 minutes. Thank you very much, Ma, for the opportunity. I have a, like, a pledge in my family. We have been created to positively impact and influence our world, our society, and the people around us. That is our pledge in our own house. And we say this almost on a daily basis. I have been asked to speak about the silent victims of abuse. And I want to come from that perspective. This morning while we were coming to church, um, my children saw something about Dangote and they said, oh, is he the richest man in Nigeria? And I said, yes, in, in Nigeria and probably in Africa as well. But, I mean, how do you define a rich person? Um, it's not just about the money and the wealth they have, but also in the impact that they make, the positive impact that they make. But you know what? A lot of people will not be able to make that impact if they have been abused. And that is why this topic is absolutely very important at this time. Men are silent victims of abuse. Children are silent victims of abuse. Women are able to speak up, like Shekun said, but men do not have that platform as much as um, women have the platforms. A lot of men are suffering from depression, they're suffering from self-confidence issues, self-esteem. If you want to kill a man very quickly, get to his self-esteem, and that is the end of it. And you know what? What the world is suffering from 
the self-esteem and the abuse that we have passed on to the men and to the children who have been the silent victims of abuse. Why? Because the greatness in them, the positive impact in them, the innovation in them, the creativity in them is killed when abuse gets in. And then again, I mean, while raising children, we know that in this part of the world, there is a lot of shouting. I mean, I'm also one of them. I still confess it, you know, that I tend to shout, particularly when the kids get, you know, gets at you, gets on your nerve. But then again, I mean, it's something we really need to work on. Why? Because, yes, our parents maybe shouted at us. And so we felt that that was just the right way as well. And particularly when you are raising boys, when you are raising a son, you need to be extra cautious of it. Why? Because as you shout on a daily basis, guess what? You're killing the man in him. Shagun talked about the man, I mean, the colleague in the office who has lost his self-esteem or may, may have lost his self-esteem. It's not that if you search deep into it, these are some of the reasons. He has found, a, I mean, he was in a home where maybe his parents raised his vo their voices at him. And, you know, over time, his self-esteem was really um, diminished. One other aspect, which is not commonly spoken about when it comes to boys, is neglect. I tell you, neglect is an abuse. Particularly young boys who are growing and did not get the kind of attention that they needed from their parents, their fathers. I spoke about a young man some time ago who, I mean, I had the opportunity of discussing with, in fact, two or three of them. And in the course of discussion, something led to the other and we talked about their fathers. And on, honestly, the three of them that I recall very well broke down crying. They broke down crying and, I mean, when they finally found their voices, what could they talk about? It was the neglect of their fathers. They felt abused. They felt, I mean, it, it, they were not accepted. And let me tell you, men want another man to affirm them. And when they do not get that affirmation from another man, it is as though they have failed. And that is why I say to you parents a lot, when you have a son, fathers, please commend your sons, affirm them. You know, do the high five with them. When they go for games, thumbs them off. Tell them they are the stars. You need to do that. Men believe, once another man tells them, you know, that they are doing well. It gives them that courage. And that is why a lot of those guys out there on the street is because someone who is influencing them wrongly is turning them up and is giving them the confidence and the self-esteem, the boost that they need. So neglect is a major challenge right now that is quietly being done and people are not calling it out. I mean, I desire honestly that more men platforms would, you know, we would have it because men need this support as well to be able to speak out, to be able to pour out their pains. But as parents, as colleagues, as friends, as family friends, please, you know, commend your boys, encourage them, motivate them, give them the inspiration, 
you know, that they need. A lot of them are carrying a lot of bitterness. And this bitterness also goes into even, again, the consequences of what we are seeing in our society. You see a 40-year-old man who is not married, and you ask why, why he's not married. He tells you, I've not found the woman I want. Tell me what your criteria are. And when they tell you what those criteria are, check it very well. There is an element of what they have seen while growing up. And they don't want it to be repeated. And so when they see a slight, you know, reason to, 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 to comment about a particular woman, I mean, they withdraw completely. They do not see the essence why they should go all the way to, you know, to, to, to work on the other person or even work on themselves. Uh, I, I, I want to say that a lot of men do not know that they are abused. A lot of men do not know that they are abused. Why? Because, I mean, this is the way I lived. This is the way I grew up. And so we consider it to be a norm. And so they have not even identified that I need help. And until a person recognizes that they need help, then they cannot get that help. So we need to look inwards. I, I, I don't want to delve into all the other parts because I know we have experts here. So let's listen up. It is not only women that are abused. Men are silent I mean, victims of abuse. And children, children, please do not neglect them. Spend time with them. Speak to them. Do not assume, you know, uh, that they know what you're talking about. Hear men, I mean, pay attention to them. They also have emotional abuse, you know, that they are suffering from. We assume that women need the emotional part, but they also need the emotional part a lot. If you've been waiting for your husband to give you the kisses and the hugs, please, you need to give more to your husband as well, deliberately without being asked as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sister Omi. And in case you're wondering, is this extraordinary men's meeting? No, it's not. It's still, extra, it's still organized by extraordinary women, but, you know, we can't function well if our men are not functioning well. So this is a holistic meeting for everybody. And we're making a lot of emphasis on men this morning because they don't get talked about. They don't get the opportunity to express how they are feeling or given the, 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 the society doesn't even give them the, 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 the opportunity to even say that this is happening to me. So, yes, we're focusing on men, but we have not left women out. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, now we're going to be talking to the people who, who help other people who are abused. We're talking to the experts on getting help. And the first expert I'm going to be calling on is um, Mrs. Tisilola Vaivo Adeneye. I introduced her earlier. She currently serves as a pioneer executive secretary of the Lagos State Domestic and Sexual Violence Response Agency. And then she has also recently authored four books for children on domestic violence, civic education, sexual violence, and self-love and body safety. So in the next 15 minutes thereabouts, she's going to be telling us how you can get help, whether you're a male, female, or a child. Thank you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning. I, I, I believe there are already established protocols, so I'll just stand on them. 
I thank you very much, Madam, for inviting me. And permit me to acknowledge her honor, Mrs. Teller. I don't know if she's here. Um, and Mr. Edward Pabon, thank you. I've been a pain to you. It's finally nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Let me acknowledge the presence of Ms. Olive Ogedengi, um, Head Clinical Psychologist, Lagos State Domestic and Sexual Violence Agency. Thank you so much. Okay, so I have just 15 minutes. So I'm going to literally run through this presentation. Who am I signaling to for Q? To Q? All right, thank you. Please go ahead, sir. So I'm talking about domestic violence, gender-based violence. We're looking at risk factors. We're looking at the effects and impact of domestic violence on children very briefly. We'll look at why domestic violence is underreported, what are some of the beliefs associated with domestic violence, and then, more importantly, support services that exist for residents of Lagos State to take advantage of. Okay, so what is GBV? What is gender-based violence? We brandish this a lot, but what is it? It's basically any act of violence that results in or likely to result in physical, sexual, or psychosocial harm or suffering to women, including threats of such act, coercion, or arbitrary deprivations of liberty, whether occurring in public or private life. So this, if this definition is from the United Nations Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Please note the words in red. Um, it's it results in or likely to result in. So it's not until it happens before it amounts to gender-based violence. Please also note that there are different forms of GBV here. A woman is attacking the man. Yes, we have such cases. The normal one, we know a man physically assaulting a woman. We see the third picture to my left. A man is verbally abusive, but even as grievous as if it was fist. And then the last one is a child who has been verbally, emotionally, and psychologically abused over time. So what is domestic violence? Simply put, it's any act of violence that occurs in a home setting. Simply put, for it to be domestic violence, people must be in a cohabiting relationship. So tenant A, tenant B are fighting. That's not domestic violence. Domestic violence, you are eating from the same pot. So you live together. There is that community. And any form of abuse that occurs in that community is defined as domestic violence. So we have different forms of domestic violence. It's physical abuse. We know that. Fighting, punching, kicking, slapping. There's sexual abuse. Sexual abuse can occur in a home. I hope we are aware. Okay, good. Verbal abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, economic, stalking. Where are you? I'm at Knightsville Church. Two minutes later, another call. Where are you? I'm at Knightsville Church. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. That place is very quiet because I'm in the church. Okay, put it on video call. Let me see. Oh, pass the phone to your call. Oh, oh, oh my, my husband is at, yes, he's at Nightville Church. It's an abuse. It's stalking. It's harassment. Some people may say, oh, it's coming from a position of love, you know. But there's a very thin line between jealousy, possessiveness, and love. Okay, let's go ahead. So what are some myths that are usually associated with domestic violence? Some people think domestic violence is due to poverty or lack of education. It's a myth. Anybody can experience violence. Granted, we know that people that live below the poverty line are at, more, are at a higher risk of experiencing abuse. But, you know, DV is not a respecter of age, class, or creed. 
Some people say domestic violence is a one-off incident. No. It's not a one-off incident. And that's why we say that the first time it happens, you need to address it. You don't wish domestic violence away. You cannot pray it away. With all due respect. Once it happens, you address it and you nip it in the bud. Right? Abusers are always coarse, nasty, violent. I mean, it's written on the forehead. Once I see an abuser, oh, that's an abuser. No. You have some that look like they cannot hurt a fly. Some people deserve to be hit. You know, they just run their mouths. So every now and then, we must slap them, put them into factory setting. <laughs> Nobody deserves to be hit. Violence can never be the option. You must learn to communicate with your mouth. And obviously, don't communicate in a way that is verbally abusive. Men who abuse are violent because they cannot control their anger and frustration. I mean, they are like hawk. They must unleash. No. In fact, research has shown that as a person progresses in their abuse, they are in more control of their anger. Children who are related in, who are, who are raised in an abusive household but are not abused physically themselves will turn out all right. They will not be affected by the abuse. That's another myth. Children who witness intimate partner violence without receiving psychosocial support and supernatural intervention may grow up for the boys to be violent or be attracted to people that would abuse them. And for the girls to be violent or be attracted to people that would abuse them. It's not a cause. It's just natural. We are all a product of our upbringing and our socialization. If you, are ra if you raise a child in a place of love, it's natural. The child will give love. If you raise a child in a place that, Olori Buruku, you are stupid. When they get to the home in adulthood, they will do it. It's not a cause. Let's go ahead. So, am I in an abusive relationship? I think it was Madame that said, I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Miss, Mrs. Adewumi. I think you were the one that said some people are even in abusive relationships they don't know. I had a gentleman, he came to my office. Dr. Olive knows him. He had spent five minutes in my office. He's light in complexion. I noticed his side turning red. We're talking. And I said, what's the problem? His phone was buzzing. The woman had called him 36 times. She was calling, calling, calling. And you know, the, the unfortunate thing is, when he came to report, he didn't even report emotional abuse or harassment. He was reporting denial of access to the children. He didn't even know that that in itself was an abuse. So it's important that we know if we are in abusive relationships. We don't pray for it. Some of us are mothers. It's also, or some of us are young people. I see young people in the house. Red flags. We need to know what red flags are. It's, I always say that it's easier to call off an engagement than to walk out of a marriage. And many a times people see these red flags. But perhaps because of society, what will people say? Because people are pregnant, whatever it is, they feel somewhat compelled to go into that relationship, knowing fully well that this person they are about to get involved in 
is an abuser. So how am I, how do you know if you're in an abusive relationship? Possessiveness. Quick involvement. I see you today. We must get married tomorrow. Oh, the love is shocking me. No. It's because they don't want to see you to know who they really are. Their true color. Quick involvement. Jealousy. Everybody around you is bad. Your mother is a witch. All your friends, they are harlots. I'm the only one that has your best interest at heart. And it's deliberate because when the violence starts to occur, as a victim or a survivor, you need a support system. So they do it deliberately to remove you from that support system so that when you are having issues, there's nobody to report to. So it's deliberate. Abusers are very, very strategic. They are very strategic. Narcissists are very strategic. Put downs. You can't do anything right. You put the food on the table at 6. You should have brought it at 5.50. You made the jollof rice. It's not red enough. You didn't put spring onions. You are, your hair is like this. It's not packed like that. You ca- literally cannot do anything right. And sometimes these put downs is not just in private. It's even in the public as well. Threats. If you leave me, I will die. I will kill you. I will kill the children. I will burn the house. Sometimes, let's not laugh, sometimes these threats can actually be actualized. But the fact that you keep threatening somebody, you keep that person in bondage, you make that person remain in that relationship. And don't say things like, oh, he or she is so, he's so in love. That is why they keep saying, no. It's a sign, a red flag. So who is at risk of experiencing domestic and sexual assault? Everybody. Everybody is at risk, irrespective of socioeconomic status. Yes, we know that the statistics show, I love data. You may not like me, but when I give you the data, when I tell you areas of prevalence, you don't need to like me. I'm giving you facts, right? The facts show us that we have more women experiencing violence, right? And then, of course, persons with disabilities, they are even, it's a a double whammy. They are already vulnerable. And now imagine a person who cannot speak, we had a 16-year-old child. She, it wasn't just autism. She can't. She couldn't. She can't speak. She can't hear, and she's pregnant. Who did it? She can't even call. Can you imagine? Let's go ahead. So, impact of d- domestic violence on the survivor. It's important because you know some of us are influential. Some of us have friends, family that some survivors may come to. It's important that you know the level of what we're dealing with. So it it will guard your utterances and it will help you to respond appropriately. If you cannot provide services, please step away. Do not compound issues. Impact of domestic violence, post-traumatic stress disorders. Yes, some of them have flashbacks, nightmares, severe anxiety, depression. Some people lack. I'm not talking about, oh, I can't touch my phone, I'm depressed. No. I mean, people that are clinically depressed. I mean, Dr. Olive is here. People are on medication. We're we're witnessing a very worrisome trend. People receiving um, um, support from Yaba Psychiatric Hospital are now being referred to my office. They are now clinically depressed. And the experts will tell you that once you put somebody on meds, it's very difficult to get off it. People are, did not have depression, but they are now clinically depressed as a result of violence. Anxiety, low self-esteem. I, 
had a lady, she said to me that she looks at herself in the mirror and she cannot recognize who she's seeing because she has been so broken. She doesn't even know if she's worth anything. And she obviously, when you, when you, when you hear somebody start saying such things, those are suicidal ideations. Alcohol, drug abuse, suicidal behavior, and some of them are actually successful in committing suicide. Please go ahead. Oh, this is too small, but I need to talk on this. This is children. You know, many a times people say they are staying because of the children. You hear that? You hear it? I'm staying because of the children. I don't want my children coming from a broken home. As if the violent environment is not already broken. As if we, it's okay to bring up children in an abusive and toxic environment. Ladies and gentlemen, where there is no award on earth, I don't know about heaven, for remaining in an abusive relationship. We do more harm than good when we bring up children in abusive relationships. There is something we refer to as intergenerational abuse. And I think Mr. Edward and Madam, uh, Mrs. Adewumi made reference to that. There's a vicious cycle of abuse. When you bring up a child in an abusive relationship, I've said it before, if the child doesn't receive psychosocial support, the child will do it. So it's a vicious cycle. So when will we be rid of this? If we continue to raise up children in toxic and abusive relationships. Please go back. So what are the impacts of it? You see a child, if you want to know if there's an issue with a child, it's not just domestic violence, domestic sexual violence, child abuse. What is critical is a change in behavior. That is all you need to know. A change in behavior. High flyer, grades are dropping. Regression in uh, milestones. Stop bedwetting, the child resumes bedwetting. Having nightmares, having panic attacks. Go and meet Uncle Solomon. I don't want to meet Uncle Solomon. Don't be silly. Go and meet Uncle Solomon. Maybe Uncle Solomon is abusing her or him. Change in behavior. Parents, we have to be a bit more hands-on. As I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself. We need to become inspector gadgets. Parenting is deliberate and it's intentional. We cannot wish to have amazing children. We need to put in the work. We need to be deliberate. And so some issues occur when we raise children in abusive relationships. They can't even have normal conversations. And we push children away. What do I mean by this? I had a 22-year-old girl, and she said she, she, was, she was experiencing violence in her home. Not girl, she's an adult. She was quite young. She got married very young at 21. And I remember her saying to me that the reason why she settled, because she said settled, she settled for that man, was because of the violence in her home. So she was looking for an escape route. And she literally went from frying pan to fire. So we don't do any good. None. It's not even Christian-like, with all due respect, to raise up children in abusive environments. We are not inculcating Christian values. We are not. We are doing more harm than good. And you know, I always say that children are innocent, yeah? They didn't beg us. We didn't use protection. We did what we did. We brought them. 
we have a duty to ensure that they are protected whilst under our watch. Right? So it's not until you beat a child before you know that you are, phys- you are abusing the child. Exposing the child to violence is a form of child abuse. Okay, so it's still domestic violence if the incidence of physical abuse seems to be minor. Oh, he just slapped you. She just pushed you. It's not that bad. There's no blood. You were not hospitalized. You know, some people um, make excuses. Have you heard of the one of sexual abuse? Oh, she's not pregnant. She didn't get pregnant as a result of it. Oh, she would have had sex eventually. We have heard a lot. Incidents of physical abuse have occurred one or two times in the relationship. So, you know, it's not too bad. It was just a slap, and that slap was like a year ago. But what's happening now? Maybe there's silent treatment. Maybe there's verbal abuse. Maybe there's emotional. Maybe there's economic abuse. The physical assault stopped when you became passive. Oh, I've just learned to retreat. I've learned to retreat. I'm not responding. You know, the the Bible says we should bridle our tongue. You know, we should be submissive. You know? And you are, you are literally killing yourself. And the unfortunate thing is that when that one person will snap, it may be just, don't put the phone here, put the phone there. And then you are like, ah, I just moved the phone. Why are you snapping? Accumulated pressure. We are not helping ourselves when we keep sweeping things under the carpet. There has not been any physical violence. I hear people say, but at least he's paying school fees. He doesn't beat you. He's helping you out. And somebody is telling you that they are losing it. They are having thoughts that they want to commit suicide. And you are saying, hey, it's not that bad. Please, if you are not a professional, don't give advice. Please, I beg of you. Let's go ahead. Now, why does it happen? It happens because of four things generally. Abusive past. People that abuse, most of them are victims of intimate partner violence growing up. Control. It's about control and dominion. I want to control. I want to know what you are doing. Down to the color of the undergarment you are wearing. I want to be in control of it. Domineering male and women. And victim mentality. You know that I would not have beaten you if you put the food on the table at 6 o'clock. If you do not pose with that guy on Facebook, you know that I will not have slapped you. And then you now start to feel like, oh, actually it's true. If I put the food on the table at 7 o'clock, he will not have beaten me. Please go ahead. So why do people stay in abusive relationships? The main one, financial dependence. And it's deliberate. I say, excuse my French, but I always say that there's nothing as sexy as a woman who is empowered. There's a limit to the nonsense you will take because you are empowered. And that is why it's important that we must raise not just our boys, but our girls to be empowered. Not so that you ride on them, but you need to have bread and butter. You must have an income. You can't be financially de- down to make your hair 200 naira. Please, if it's me, I will even be irritated. <sighs> Financial dependence. Most of these survivors are financially dependent on the abuser. Children, I've said it before. 
I don't want to live because of my... Religious and cultural factors. The Bible hates divorce. As if the Bible loves violence. I think our lives are too small to be the reason for our lives. I think each and every one of us has a purpose that we are to live beyond ourselves. The moment when your whole prayer life, God, please, touch that woman, touch that man. I think there's a problem. My God is not an unjust and a wicked father. I think, he, you know, he wants us to thrive. Marriage should not truncate your destiny. It should just let you blossom and flourish. But many people's lives and destinies have been truncated because of the institution of marriage. Fear of the unknown. Hey, if I go, where, what, will, what will people say? That, that phrase has kept people in bondage. What will people say? If you go, people will say. If you don't go, people will say. So, I mean, do you? Low self-esteem. You know, people have been so broken, they don't even know that they deserve better. Common causes of friction. I'm wrapping up. Unrealistic expectation in marriage. You'll be amazed why some people get into marriage. You'll be amazed. I want to complete him. I want to complete her. As if you are the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I will change him. I will ch you don't have the capacity to change another human being. It is only God. Except, well, God may be magnanimous to move through you to change that person. Lack of sexual satisfaction. We don't talk about this enough. But you have cases where people come and report physical abuse, but when you check the underlying cause, they are not being sexually satisfied. And because of our socialization, women are not able to voice out. The next thing is, you are a harlot. You are sleeping around. I had a case like that. The woman said, why? Would I know if something is sweet? <laughs> I think we need, you know, if you check, there's, there's a lot of demand for all these um, enhancement drugs. If you just check the media, you'll see it. If you're reading um, Punch or Guardian, whatever, you just see this pop-up. Do us okay. Uh, last longer. Um, be a real man. It's because there's a problem and there's a demand. But we are not talking about it. And this is a, is a major cause for friction. A major cause of friction in marriages. Lack of effective communication. People are speaking, but they are not talking to each other. Third-party interference. Oh, wow. Women, I think we need to own this one. Majority of our cases, we don't hear father-in-laws interfering. It's mothers-in-law. Sisters-in-law. Why? Do your own. Let me do my own. Don't interfere. Come and be counting how many meters in the pot. Since you married my son, he's not sending money. Talk to your son. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I think we get the point. Third-party interference. Financial constraints. Undue pressure to remain in abusive relationships. Okay. I think I'm wrapping up now. Go ahead, please. Okay, do you have rights? You know, in Lagos, we don't just talk. We walk the talk. We have the laws. We have the systems and the structures in place. To be that support system for survivors and victims of domestic and sexual violence. We have the protection against domestic violence law that empowers a survivor to obtain what is called a restraining order. To restrain 
the abuser from coming near him or her. Please, let's go ahead. So you have rights. You can also access different services, which I will speak to as I wrap up. But more impo most importantly, obtaining a restraining order is not a criminal case. Because, you know, they say things like, oh, if you go to court, you can't come back as friends, you know. That's not what that law is trying to do. That law is just trying to prevent further reoccurrence of violence. Now, in the unfortunate instance that a person is in an abusive relationship, what should you do? You have to be prepared for the worst. You have to have some information at your fingertips. You have to have numbers that you can call. In Lagos, we have the emergency line 767112, toll free. We have our hotline, 08000333. We advise that survivors don't just get up and leave. You have to have what is called a safety plan where you prepare. You have your um, important documents, certificates, um, banks, whatever it is, passports, things that are important and dear to you. You have them in what you call a safety bag so that if you need to run, you have that bag and you are out. Um, please go ahead. So let's quickly look at trends. 20% lack, don't want for, at least 20% of cases that we, I'm sorry, only 20% of cases that come through to us want prosecution. Meaning that people don't want to jail their abusive spouses. They just want the beating or the violence to stop. Go ahead. 88% of them lack evidence. I beat you, you didn't beat me. Where was it? Show me the scar. And there's a limit to what we can do as government if there is no evidence, right? 88% lack evidence. 88% of the abusers are in denial. I never touched her. They can move from, I never touched her. Actually, it was a slap. Actually, if I knew your office before, I would have been the first to come. Okay, madam, ask her why I slapped her. There's that denial. Let's go ahead. Mental abuse, 70%, when they are able to be vulnerable enough, they eventually say that they witness violence growing up. Go ahead. 90% of them are financially independent on the abuser. 98% of perpetrators claimed that their spouse was having an affair. Yes. And some of this, there was no actual evidence. They said they saw you at Royalty Hotel. I saw you send the hi on Facebook. Marriages have been destroyed because of high on Facebook. I, t I kid you not. Please go ahead. 78% of survivors said they had previously reported to their religious cleric before coming to government. So you see the huge role that religion plays. 85% of survivors said it was because of third-party interference. That's why they were experiencing violence in their home. Please go ahead. 98% of survivors... Yeah, chose to remain in the relationship because of children. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, Lagos State, what have we done? We are looking at this from a multidisciplinary approach because we know that no one agency can provide all the services that survivors require. And in demonstrative political will, um, in 2021, the Domestic and Sexual Violence Response Team metamorphosed into the Domestic and Sexual Violence Agency. What do we do? We ensure that survivors are able to access holistic support. Support, please go ahead, sir. Medical support, rescue operation. We have calls to rescue people. 
even in the wee hours of the, of the morning. Legal assistance, law enforcement, psychosocial support, emergency assistance, empowerment. You see a person experiencing abuse, you leave an abusive relationship. To where? You place in a home for three months. Then what? Don't forget that some of these perpetrators will tell the survivor that if they leave, they should not go with the children. And if they go with the children, they will not be responsible for the children. So what happens to the education of that child or those children? That is why empowerment is not enough to... It's even in the Bible. If a person is lacking something, you don't just say, go and grace be upon you. or go. You need to part with something. So that's where empowerment comes in. Data. Between, gen, between September 2021 to July 22, the agency has attended to 4,860 cases. This is not even scratching the surface because sexual and gender-based violence continues to remain one of the most underreported crimes, not just in Lagos, Nigeria, but it is a global phenomenon. Yes. So I think I leave you with this. It's better to be a survivor than be deceased. Thank you. Thank you so much, ma'am. You've given us a lot of food for thought. The statistics are really mind-boggling, and they put it into perspective, really, when you look at it and you see how much, and as she said, it's a global phenomenon. It's not just, you know, exclusive to Nigeria. The fact that people, even though they feel they're being abused, are afraid of leaving because of one reason or the other. And earlier on, when um, Stawomi was talking about, when she was talking about silence, Victims, you know, for instance, like when we're kids, our parents like to yell. They think it helps. I remember my mom used to yell a lot. And so when she yells, I just tune her out. Like she might be yelling at me, I'll be like, hey, mommy, do you remember that money that you said I should call it from somebody from yesterday? So she stops yelling because she's an Ijebu woman, she likes money. And then she focuses on the money. Until date, if you want something from, if you start yelling, I can't hear you. I literally can't hear you when you start yelling. I just tune out. Like, if you want to talk to me, talk to me. If you start yelling, that's my own way of coping. For some people, they get timid and intimidated by people, and then they can, no, I'm not timid. Uh-uh. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of the lion. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, so, um, Mrs. Um, Olive. <laughs> Mrs. Olive Oluwagbemileke, would you like to add... Would you like to add a few words to what has been said so far? Okay, you can give us like one or two practical examples just to drive it home. Okay. I don't want to be like a preacher, more or less. So I think, let me take the floor. Okay. So let's make it interactive. Well, my boss has said it all. You know, she's the pioneer, as they said, of domestic violence issues. You know, and she really touched upon a whole lot of things, even the psychological aspect and all. You know, these are cases that we see on a daily basis for years now. So we breathe and we live in it. 
you understand. So we see cases like that. And I know a lot of people in the society are actually going through these cases. And uh, I don't even know what to touch them because I said most of it. But we can make it interactive. You have questions and all that. But I want us to take our minds back to how does this actually happen. I think we should dwell more on the causal factors. She mentioned childhood upbringing. It starts from upbringing. And children, they learn by what you do. So to be a parent, you have to work on your weaknesses because it's not what you are preaching to your children. It's what you are doing. It's much more effort. You know, it's not an easy task. You know, children, they learn by imitation. And so everything starts from the family unit, whatever they learn. If I put the music here, for instance, that you don't like for one week, after some time, you find yourself humming it, whether you like it or not. So people grow up on default, both men and women. I wouldn't want to castigate that it's men, men, men perpetrators because women are actually perpetrators too, you know? So on default, they grow up seeing their parents fighting, quarreling to see that as a way of resolving conflict. Just like she said, some see yelling on default. You don't even, a child, for instance, some parents can bring their children to my office. He fights a lot, you know, he's always fighting in school. But then you people are fighting in the house. So, and then you want repair for your child. But it can't stop. Even if I help your child, he's going back to the source and he's going to collect it again. So it starts from childhood upbringing. We have to work on our weaknesses as adults. That's the truth. You know, how we're raising our children. It's not preaching to them, don't do this, don't do that. It's what you are modeling. That is what they are going to eventually take. I know of a, a, a lady that was in my office and told me one day that, do you know, all through when my parents... When we grew up, I never heard my parents quarrel. I'm sure they quarrel, but, you know. And I looked at her, I was shocked, too, because this uh, society, this is that there's so much pressure. Before you know it, people start quarreling and arguing. In fact, the children will know that they are quarreling. She said they never. And I said, that's a high level of self-control from your parents. So, causal factor, childhood upbringing. Two, we look at sociocultural factors. The men, you are a man, you should be able to hold on to things. And everybody knows that. Piling up things, keeping anger. We have passive and aggress, aggress, um, active aggression for anger. If you keep on anger, you pile it up and you're not allowed to express it. By the time you express it, you know that it has really stayed for long. And so some of these men, they try to, I'm a man, let me endure. No. Men should be encouraged to speak out when they are not happy about something, to talk about it, trash out the issue and let it go. Not pile up the anger because when it's pent up, nobody is a, a saint in this issue. It will eventually bust out in a manner that you don't like to liken it to a dustbin bag. By the time you keep on tying, tying, the day you open it up, it's smelling. You know? So, and most of the things we do is more of anger management. Nobody is highly above it. Even if you see you're so gentle, there will be a day that someone will push you to the wall. You know, so it's a continuous effort that we need to work on ourselves. So we look at social cultural factors also. We look at personality disorders, gaps in childhood development, being exposed to, just like she also mentioned, being exposed, children who are exposed to this violence. It starts even from the fetus when a woman is pregnant. A lot of research says that even the unborn babies already experiencing stress in the brain. Yes. Yes. And there are different impacts for different developmental milestones. Just like I said, nightmare, sleeping problem, eating disorders, you know, a lot of aggressive behaviors or timidity, low self-esteem. And some of these men, they grow up to actually have personality issues. And then you marry a man, you don't know he has issues. Or he might even have PTSD symptoms. Because of his childhood background, they say, I don't know why this man is always getting angry easily. He has not healed from his childhood. 
He has not healed from his childhood. You know, and say, what kind of man is this? I don't know what kind of man I marry. He's always irritable, but he has gone through a lot of trauma, perhaps, while growing up. That's not been resolved. And then getting married now, he begins to see everything come out. Maybe you're just trying to hold himself, so you say yes. And after saying yes, the real nature came out. And vice versa, even a woman, too, coming from a dysfunctional family, that she has not healed from the trauma, and enters into marriage. He's in the marriage that you can't hide again. And then everything spills out. And it's only professionals that can be able to spot out that, ah, the woman is always getting angry. She's always this. She's always that. She's always irritable. She's always blah, blah, blah. And then you begin to say, these are signs of PTSD. Have you gone through trauma before? She will not say yes. Either she was raped or from a broken home or this and that. So what are the causal factors? Let us begin to look personality issues, gaps in development. Because we don't know, just like she said, the damage is done more on children because they are the future. You are quarreling, you think he's not affecting your children. He's affecting them a whole lot. Because if they don't heal, before you know it, when they become adolescents, self-esteem issues start. And what can make a successful adult is having good self-image. A child who is constantly criticized by the parents. There's nothing good. Every small thing, Oloshi, Olori Buruku, this stupid child. They think they are posing in front of their mates. I see a lot of women do that, beat their child every small They are killing the child's self-image. And adult life is full of challenges that we need what we call resilience. It's resilience that determines whether you're in a mental health institution or whether you're mentally stable or not. And if your self-esteem, you cannot look in when things are challenging to build on your resilience and say, no, I can soldier through this. And there's not enough reserve because too much criticism has made you see yourself as there's nothing to even look positive about yourself. Even those people break down mentally. They come down with a lot of mental health issues. That's why I see people depressed because they don't even have the strength to fight again. I've had so many clients say, I've stopped fighting. I don't want to try. Their esteem is battered. I don't want to try. They'll be crying. I'm tired of trying. Another point, another person is actually suicidal. Because what makes people great and successful is having a good self-image. So if from your childhood, your parents have been quarreling with you, you are a useless child, you are this, or even among themselves, there's no happy home. Inside marriage, again, the spouse who is abusive. Where is the strength to continue with life? So these are really issues we need to address because causal factors. What are these causal factors? You know? So, because I, I prepared a slide, but I'm just trying to run through my mind whatever I, we still need to touch. Uh, okay. Okay. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, ma'am. Um, for that brief but very, very important contribution. Earlier on, I introduced Dr. Ade Folashaye Adebayo as a doubly board-certified hair, nose, and throat, then head and trauma surgeon. She's here with us now, and she has a story to share. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning. In fact, when the second the speaker the, before you, Mother, spoke, I was just taking my life in all her slides. So most of the things she said, I lived a practical example of it. Um, by the grace of God, anytime I, I have this opportunity to speak to people, 
I always ask God, uh, God, there must be a reason why I did not die. And anytime I see gatherings like this, I, I now see the reason why I did not die. Because I've gone through all the cycles of domestic violence. In fact, the good thing about it is that God has helped me. So I can tell, tell anybody that for me, I'm not a victim of domestic violence. Because I've passed that stage, I checked the definition of victim. He said a victim is a person who has come to feel helpless and passive in the face of misfortune and ill treatments. I know that that's not my own story. I looked at the definition of a victor, a, a survivor. A survivor, he said, is somebody that's overcome. And I said, that one still does not suit me. I don't know the word. Maybe the, the last speaker will find the word to define my own situation because in my own situation, I have gone through the cycle, the full cycle. I have not only survived it, I have also healed. And I'm now using my healing to talk to people. And um, by the grace of God, I can tell you, before I tell you my story, that I don't have any iota of bitterness in me. I don't have any iota of unforgiveness in me for all the things I've gone through. Now I'm saying it as a story. God is my witness. I do not have iota of bitterness in me. I do not have any iota of unforgiveness in me towards the person that did what he did to me. In fact, sometimes I laugh and I joke with myself that, ah, now wow, so you went through all these things. Now, there's any time I have this opportunity, there's this scripture that comes through my mind and uh, I don't mind if they can put on this slide. It's in uh, the Amplified Version, Second Corinthians 1, verse 4. Paraphrasing, if you can put it. It says that the comfort that God has given you when you are going through your own situation, use it to comfort another person. So I now know that that's the reason why I survived. So I can comfort any person. <laughs> the comfort... Is, this, is that amplified? No, I want the amplified. Please put it. I don't have enough time, so don't allow my time. I'm counting. You know, I've told the person that once it's five minutes, just make a sign to me. Anyway, he said, who comforts, consoles, encourages us in every trouble, calamity, affliction, so that we may also be able to comfort, console, encourage those who are in any kind of trouble or distress. With the comfort, consolation, and encouragement with which we ourselves are comforted with. Because I received comfort from God. So that is my story. So my story started in 1998. Um, I had issues in medical school. Eventually, God helped me to sort it out. In 1998, I met the person that I married in the front of my house. Then, like one week, we started dating. Next thing, he sent me a card. Come and be my fiancé or you know, those things. So I said, okay, no problem. Let's just start dating. So we started dating. Then I prayed. When I prayed, I had a trouble in my spirit. And I didn't know what, I didn't understand it. Because I've had some kind of things like that before. When I was younger, like a storm, I knew something was wrong. I said, okay, I beg I hope you are not in secret call too. I don't understand though. Why am I having trouble in my spirit when you said I should marry you? So I know, now I'll take you to my pastor. We went to church. So it's pastor. I said, something is not just right. I just continued. Young girl, I, we would go out, have fun, and we'll, we'll play gist and all that. 
I met the person that I married then at the age of um, 27. So as um, we started dating, I began to notice some things. I noticed he had anger problem. The other day he came to see me in school. I was rounding up. He saw one, uh, one of my colleagues on a chair in my room. That's I just came, just held me, shook me, shook me, shook me, shook me. After shaking me, just pushed me and dropped me. I just, I just said to myself, what is going on here? And I, you see, I'm laughing. My story is, is like this. I can say it easily. So I now asked, told the person, ah, we'll see now. Why do you, you want the person to be suspecting me? Hey, is it not a book that we are reading? What's all this world? So I adjusted. That's sign number one. Then I noticed the second, you spoke something. You said that uh, some people, they had parents that have never quarreled before. They don't see it. That is me. I did not know that domestic violence existed. The first time I knew domestic violence existed was on me. I never believed it existed. When I saw it in, on, uh, on TV, I thought that maybe they are just acting until the first time the person I married gave me serious flashing of hot slap on my face. Now, that story was, I was a house officer. I went, I was supposed to, uh, you know, a house officer is a person that just becomes a doctor, you are doing your rotation. So I was in ONG posted. So it was my turn to do call. So I told my, by that time I'd married, I told the person I married, I said, ah, this is my call time, oh. I have to go for call. I said, you cannot go. Didn't you tell them that you're a married woman? I said, what does married woman have to do with doctor? There's nothing called married the way you're working as doctor. Will you, patient come to the hospital? Say, ah, where's the doctor? Ah, she's a married woman. No, she's not around. I said, that one does not concern anything here. So I went for the call. I came back. I said, I just entered the house. Why didn't I tell you not to go for the call? You went. See, pow, on my face like this. Because I have never seen it before. For I was like in five minutes shock. The shock was, did somebody slap me? Was I slapped? That is like a slap. Oh. I think that is a slap. Ah, why did you slap me? I, that was what I was doing for five minutes. I did not just understand it. Then he now said, ah, why did this person slap me? I did not tell anybody. Mistake. So it continued like that. So, we, we initially, when I just might, if he offends or says something, I would say my own back. I said, hey, why did you do this? I said, okay, this one is not working. It's causing more problem. So I decided to keep quiet. Keeping quiet was not even working again. Because the next thing is, do you think I'm, uh, I'm talking to you? Am I a mad person? Don't, I'm talking to you. You are not responding. That one, that one too was not working again. I, because I, there are too many stories. Everything that can happen to a person that had domestic violence happen to me, it's just that I just did not die. That's the only difference. Now, so let me just be summarizing. Please, what is five minutes? Just tell me that it's time to, to stop. Anyway. So let me just um, continue. So um, this thing went on for the first two years. Then I decided not to talk again. So some people say, if you are, they say, if you are, because of your mouth, your mouth is sharp. You are talking. Me, I didn't talk again. I just blank. No talking. So I said, okay, if I don't talk, I'm talking to you. I stopped that one. So when she's talking, I was, ah, please, I want to use the toilet. I'll move away. We come there. Kick the door. Is it not you? I'm talking to her. this one, this one, this one, that one. So then later, when I found that one is not working, I said, which method will I use again to defend myself? 
I said, okay, when it's, if you slap, I'll just find a way to keep blocking my eyes and everything. Because I landed in hospitals at various points in time. In 2000 and let me see, okay, 2006, after I delivered my last child in Canada, then me and my child, we are, we are there together. You know, Canada is cold now. So he came to see us. Say, said, ah, why are you carrying this baby, backing this baby? Ah, I said, it's cold here. Yeah, oh. I have to back the boy. That's why I carried two weeks. So somebody has just delivered. I just dropped this child, just carried my baby from my back and beat me on my back. I just urinated on my body. After urinating on my body, I said, ah, let me go and call the cops now. I said, ah, let me carry my matter to Nigeria. His, his baby, I came to, <laughs> to deliver here. So... I did not report, so I came back. So the thing just, the violence just continued. And my parents told me when I was young that anytime you have marital problem, oh, uh, don't tell anybody, don't, don't tell, don't bring, don't tell us, oh, marital problems should be solved between husband and wife. You should not tell anybody. So I carried my matter, or tell your pastor, or you try and resolve it. So I kept resolving it within myself for like from 2001 I was resolving it within myself until 2009 okay let me see okay yes I think 2009 the, the problem now exposed itself and now it exposed itself how many minutes more okay, okay. five minutes they told me five minutes so let me just summarize Except pastor give me permission. No. Anyway, let me, I don't know how to summarize, but let me just say the basic, basic things. Anyway, in 2009, just the, I'll just highlight the most important ones. In 2009, um, I did not, I, you know, I said I, don't, I didn't tell anybody, so my parents did not know I was going through anything. So unfortunately for me, on one of these days, 2007, you know, the speaker said they always destroy documents my own documents were destroyed. I went for a course, yes. I went for a course, I came back, and you know what she said, that any suspicion, hi, is suspicion, you are sleeping with somebody. So that's my, my own, was that, me and my friend, we tried to manage money for hotel. Two of us went for a course, so we split hotel room, and say, okay, let's save money. Two women, we sat down for, for exam, so we shared the same hotel. Where's your hotel receipt? Ah, it's with the other person. There must be a man. There was a man. Blah, blah, blah. I just entered. Though. That's how I carried all my documents plus my wife. So my document broke all my phones. Anyway, so the, everything still continued. Anyway, I've still not told my parents. So one day, my mother just mistakenly came to our house. On that day, just saw that my face was swollen. My mother asked, what ah, I hit my, I hit my head. I hit my head on the wall. My mother, you know, parents, they will know this thing. That's how my mom just called my dad that that boy is beating that girl. That she won't know what they are going to do about it. So that was the first exposure. Uh, anyway, in 2009, the one that finally exposed it was that we had a small argument. Uh, by that time, I've got to the point, I don't talk. So the person I married, we talked to me and me. Take away this thing from this place. So this particular day, he bought Rabina, flung it on the floor, fall out. Take this thing and go and put it in the fridge. And people were there. I didn't like it, so I did not take the Rabina. So I left it there. He came back in the evening. I spoke in Yoruba. 
Rabina to one bay, I said, most of work, oh, they call Rabina, mean that you did not pick the Rabina, I said, she pick. I said, yes, I did not pick it because I don't like how you spoke to me. You just, I was walking away, that's I just cleared my leg, I just fell on the marble floor, low and build, I could not walk. I thought the thing was a joke. I dragged myself, I cannot walk, I cannot stand. <laughs> and I'm a doctor. So there's this uh, medicine that we used to, when we want to do minor operation, we pentazosin, you you give it and you do your surgery. And the person will not feel pain. So I, I just dragged myself on the floor, injected myself that by morning, I'll be fine. By morning, I could not walk. <laughs> What's happening to me here? I don't know. Anyway, I landed in the hospital. That's how it was the one that now came to carry me to the hospital. And one thing I would just say here, people that are violent, that kill their spouses or whatever they do, they don't set out on that day that they are going to kill that person or they are going to enjoy that person. They do not know that thing is going to happen. So that's why I said, looking at me, ah, is it not that small kick? Yeah. Ah, ah, you cannot walk. You cannot walk. That's how he carried me. Or it's the same person that carried me to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, I told them, I said, this is the person that did this to me. The nurses became angry. Anyway, like joke, like joke, they just put traction, put weight on my leg, admitted me on the bed. I could not walk for six weeks. I was on the bed, and I was pooping everything on that bed. They were treating me. And by six weeks, I became okay. So by that time, my parents were already looking for me. Where's their daughter? Everybody's looking for me. Came to beg me, please, tell them that you fell in the bedroom. I don't know what to Just tell them that you fell. Ah, his business partners were saying, where's that your wife? So my parents came. My dad just saw me, just moved, moved up and down. His eyes were red. Like, look at his daughter. Everybody saw it. That time, the thing has exposed itself. So he now begged me that, please, because my father said I should come to the house after this. Please, don't, please. That's how... I followed him stupidly. After they discharged me, I went to went with him to the house. Then went to visit his friend. Ah, madam, take it easy. They say you fell in the bathtub. Ah, ah, could I? I looked at him. Hmm. And I said I would not lie. And I didn't want to spoil business. So I said, hmm. Anyway, that's what the impression they had. So by this time, I now decided that this thing has to stop. However, it continued. At various points in time, there was a time he choked me. I almost died. I don't even know where to start from. This, the, this, the stories are too many, but let me summarize. Eventually, I said, let me start talking. I went to FIDA. I went to FIDA. I told them, FIDA said, I don't have evidence. that This is word against my own, that until I start keeping evidence. So, okay, I said, no problem. I went to Deputy Commissioner of Police, Panty. I wrote a letter that they should come and save me. Oh, this is my... Uh, situation because it never stopped. Anyway, I wrote a letter to Mommy Joe in the redemption camp. Anyway, summary, it just continued on and on and on. On one of the occasions I left. So then my parents said, okay, the condition for me to come back to the house, let me read the letter of undertaking. Uh, in 2013, he wrote an undertaking. He said to treat Adifolashi as my wife, not as a slave, to accord and let other elves include driver, respect, Ha, ah, because sometimes even slap in the front of driver. <laughs> anyway, to protect and defend her against third party, not beat her again, to refrain from acts that could kill her, like suffocating her, throwing or pushing her along the stairs or dragging her through the staircase. Anyway, that's a lot. That's some. Then anyway, because FIDA has now said I should start uh, keeping evidence, I started keeping evidence this time around. So 
I now said, okay. I got a medical report for the one that happened in the hospital. I got police report for, I started reporting. I wasn't hiding anything anymore. Anyway, the problem continued. And the truth of the matter, the person I married is a pastor of a church. So it's not a normal member of the church. So it's a person that should know better. Anyway, summary. If I tell you, my story is very sweet to, to listen to. But let me just summarize. In fact, you, if you hear my story, you just read the book and, and like it. Anyway, finally, I now got to a point in my life. I said it is one or three things. So it's either I die or I become a vegetable. So I've, I've used different kind of, I've thought of different methods. How will I escape this thing? And you know, my belief, I have this, in, I don't know whether it's traditional belief that, you know, God said they should not divorce. That thing has eaten me that I'm like, okay, God, if I don't divorce, not die be this old, not die. This is death staring me in the eye. So I have to choose one. I said, God, okay, what will I do? I knew that something is not right somewhere. And I do not want to have bitterness. And at the same time, I do not want my children to see all these things. I mean, all this time, managed to, my children did not see it too. I, when we do, the wala want to start, we enter one place. Oh, so yeah, because me, anything you want to do. But I got to the point that I knew that this thing is, is getting too much. Anyway, finally, I told myself that I was not going to die. And I was not going to become a vegetable. That I was going to at least come out of this madness. Because I've involved church. I've involved everybody. And yet nothing tangible came out of it. Oh, people like, they would just push you. Stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Anyway, finally, 2014, I spoke to myself. Uh, okay, you two said, ah, I lived under this thing for 13 years. Yes, I lived under this situation for 13 years. In fact, I'm highly summarizing the story. I lived in this situation for 13 years. But I told myself, this is one or two things. I told, I told myself, when I get to the point that I can kill him, let me leave. Because I got to that point. Because he got to a, a particular point in time that if this man touched me again, I would carry injection. And just inject him in his jugular bay. And I knew that by that time I was getting to that toxic state. It's better for me to just leave the scene. So I got to that state. And I said, no way. Finally, 2014, something happened at home. By that time, he has already made life difficult for me. And me, I've tried all these strategies. I said, okay, if I don't talk, let me just manage and live in this house till my last child is 17 years. Once it's my last year is 17 years, I would just say, I want to go and take care of maybe my first child's baby. And from there, I would just be hopping from child's house to child's house. Then I would just appear in the house. Ah, once the while I want to start again, I will move. So that was my own exit plan, all in the name of that. I want to stay in the marriage. Anyway, finally in 2014, I think May 28, I finally left because something happened. It was our, the, our wedding anniversary week. And that week, he traveled and came back. He had already started frustrating me. And me too, I was determined that I will not be frustrated. But anyway, it got to a point that he told me that I have to leave the house. That's not comfortable with me anymore. So, and at that point in time, I, let me just summarize what happened. On this particular day, I came back from work. He told me I cannot stay in the house. I should go and find where to sleep. I cannot sleep in the house. I moved from my, from our matrimonial room, what they call it. 
they moved to the children's room. He came to meet me. You cannot sleep here. I moved from there. I moved to the house sales room. He said, you cannot sleep here. Where do you want to? I don't know you. I can, you can't just stay in this house. So when he had gone to sleep, I sneaked into my room to sleep around 1 a.m. As I just came to me, gave, I don't even know what he used to eat me. He just hit me, whatever it was. Then started dragging me. Started dragging me in the night. Uh, my head almost hit somewhere. I had a lot of bruises on my body. So he said, I cannot sleep in that place. So I slept in the cold, in the, house, in the compound. We have a big compound. Mosquito beat me. By morning, I, I praising the Lord. I had my bath. I sang. So it's like this person self is the person that should be bitter. It's me. Me, I'm not bitter. You, you are the one that is bitter. So, but by the evening of that day, I came home. I've already sent the picture to my sister because by now I'm still keeping evidence that this is what happened. So my sister has already sent message to my my parents that this nothing must happen to her sister. Her sister must not die. This, this person has started again. So by this time, my parents too, they too have had enough because it's too many stories. My father now said, oh yeah, he's coming to my house. So that night they came. So by that time, we were already having a third argument. He came again, said, you cannot sleep in this house. And by that time, yeah, I was already looking for my injection, just in case if this man touched me again, I would just inject him. And God knows, you know, people that don't fight, the day they will fight, is their own that we, that we be, that we know. That's why people that you think they are gentle, the day they will raise their own hands, their own, all the anger of the years, they will put it inside their hands. So me too, I've already said, today, if you touch me, I will inject you. And God forbid, I know that I will have injected him in his jugular. And who knows, somebody will have gone to somewhere. So my parents kept calling. So as they were calling, I eventually picked the call. My dad said, it's enough. You have given back to children. You cannot die for me. You cannot die. Pack your things. I said, daddy, we'll discuss this in the morning. He said, no, you cannot. So by the time my parents came, oh yeah, pack your things. You cannot die for me. You have tried. If they want to say people have children, you too have had. Don't come and die. So by this time, I picked my things. Although in the process of time, I was already threatening me. Like one of the points, she said that you cannot pick the children. He has already told me, told me if I try it with him, he will deal with me. And I know that this person will deal with me. So I first for balance. So that night, my parents came. So by that time, you know, we are having an heated argument. So while he left, before he came back, he said, to, we will know who is ruling this ship. Me too, have that day, I said, it's enough. Anything today, today's the time. Whoa, today, today. Anyhow, I don't have to fight, but this today soon, I will fight. Anyway, so during the period he left the house, my parents came, take your things. Because I've been having prepacked my wife's certificate, everything, there's no good document at home because I don't want somebody to, to destroy my document. So it's only a photocopy that I've, I have. So I just packed the small things. My children were sleeping. That was how I left. And for the first time in 13 years then, I slept and I had peace. How can somebody leave marriage and have peace? I had peace. I am not on that. I am not a missing word. I slept. I'm not afraid that somebody will come and hit my head or knock something on me or drag me on the floor. I had peace. So me, I had peace. And from then, I had peace. Let me not lie. So I now start battling. My next battle is God now that I'm separated. Which one will I do? Divorce. No divorce. Which one? God, have mercy on me. Tell me which one I want to do. Me, I don't want to go to hell. Anything that will make me to go to hell, I don't want to do. So, I started battling with my own. Finally, I had some level of peace. I said, okay, God, 
Shabi, you said your words. If people, if somebody commits adultery, they can divorce the person. Shabi, this man said I'll be committing adultery. I accept. I accept God. <laughs> because I was tired. But anyway, at the end of the day, God still working in me. I did not have bitterness. Despite everything, I still pray for him. So I want to say that in all these things, God helped me and he kept me. And I'm very grateful to God. Even though I'm highly summarizing it, but I have had like four death experience, near death experience, that I did not die. In fact, almost a concussion. I don't even know where to start from. But I give God the glory. And I want to say, any person that is going through this thing, God can help you. You don't have to keep quiet. You don't have to, and I wish this church, maybe they can have a, a, a group, people in the church. Because what happens, the part that the church is doing to us, sorry ma, I'm not saying you. When it's in the church, they always put all of us in one corner that we are like cancer. We should not come and infiltrate them in the church. They don't have, they don't have worker group for us. It's either you are single or you are married. They don't have place for people like us. And that's why people are afraid to talk. Because they feel that people will condemn you. At first thing, they say, your mouth is sharp. How about me that I did not talk? In fact, she said something that she, she, she can tune out. I got to a point, I developed psychogenic deafness. We call it in medicine, psychogenic deafness. If we talk for two hours, I will not hear a word. I'm not that I, I will not hear it. Not that I pretend, I will not hear. Then the next time I say, hey, what did you say? I did not hear it because I have programmed my mind not to hear it. I use all coping mechanisms. So I will appeal that maybe the church, everybody is, not all jackets fits every person. Some people have their own peculiar issues. And you should not say because uh, you just want people to, to stay together, stay together, put people together. People, some people have died. I'm just, it's just God that had mercy on me. I will have died. So I feel the church should, should look into that. And you should not ostracize people because you are not, uh, now I'm divorced by the grace of God. It took a long time before I could go do that route. But that is my situation now. And I don't say though, in the church, if you like, say you not give me work, I will put myself inside the work because I will work for God. So, that is my story. And I want whoever that is going through all this thing, let me tell you, if you have bitterness, you and the person, you are the same. You must remove, bitterness is like cancer. Remove it from you. Unforgiveness. In fact, if you mean, you will, if you, as you are remembering, Father, I, I forgive this person. Forgive. Because you know what the Bible says about unforgiveness. You don't forgive the person. You remember that proverb of the, the man that uh, th there was a king and some servants. The one that did not forget, forgive. The Bible says the king sent tormentors to that auntie, that person. Jesus Christ now said, so shall my father do to you if you don't forgive. A tormentor, you, if you have seen where they are, uh, if you watch movies, where they want to bring people to, get people to say the truth about a situation, they can use water, they will use fire, use everything to torment the person to talk. That is what is happening to every person that is holding in unforgiveness. The, you don't know where the thing is coming from. Everything will just go wrong with your life. Why should you allow it in your life? So no matter what any person has done to you, forgive the person. As I'm seeing, the, as the person that has done all this, if I seem to say, hey, I, lie, yeah. I don't, I feel sorry for his situation. 
but I do not have bitterness. I am not joking. One iota of bitterness or unforgiveness is not in my spirit. And maybe that's why God decided to show me mercy and is helping me. Glory be to God. Can all the panelists come together? Let's take pictures. Hallelujah. I have known this. I've known Fola for since 1992. Wonderful child of God, loving heart, just wants to serve God. And I've gone through all of that. And she's the light. You know, there are people that will go through all of that and they will become so reclu. If you see her in our alumni, alumni unit, uh, alumni chat, she's a terror. She will make you so, you will laugh your head out. You can never ever look at her or see her chat and reconcile her with what she has been through. And that is the essence of today. That's why we called it perfectly whole. That irrespective of what you've been through, there's healing in the house. We're going to, we are going to have time where we're going to minister to everyone who has been through one thing or the other. Whether it's from childhood, whatever. We trust God that he will heal you. He will make you whole again. And you will be, you will be someone that you will be able to comfort those with the comfort that you have received from the Lord. I just want us to take a picture and then we'll go into our question and answer. I hope we're enjoying ourselves. I hope we're learning. I hope we're getting. So, it's not by pastor, brother. It's not by brother. Hallelujah. And you see, one thing about God is that he loves us so much. She got some things. She got some, mm. she got some restraints. But you know when love is catching you, that's why we say love is not blind. If anybody tells you love is blind, it's a lie. Have you ever seen anybody that they picked from the gutter? And they say, what happened to you? How did you enter the gutter? They say, it's because of love. Praise God. Praise the Lord. 
we have some questions here already. We can take about four more. So if you have any questions. Yes, and um, um, those of you watching online, kindly send us questions if you have any. Now, the, um, the first question here, this person is saying there is this family that always um, lash out physically on their children. Pastor Shadda, I want you to answer that. Both parents, both the man and the wife. As a neighbor, is there anything that you can, that the person is saying, is there anything they can do to help the children? Um, personally, there was a particular time, uh, my husband is here, uh, I almost... I almost reported my neighbor because of the way she was dealing with the house help. I, I think that we should be our neighbor's keeper. Um, if you have a good relationship with them, you could call them and just give them an idea that ah, the way you are handling these children. What I used to tell people, I tell them, do you want these children to be with you in your old age? They will say, ah, yes, so I say, the way you are treating these children, if they leave this house, you will write application letter to see them. They will stay with you now because they don't have a, an opportunity or a choice. But they are waiting for the weapon that they are getting. And the weapon is their education. Immediately you get their education. If you don't make amends, they will leave you and you will not see them again. So it's, it's very good for us. And that's why we, we need to have good neighborly relationship with our neighbors so that when we see such such things we can you know get them you know we can speak to them and talk to them about it now if the worst comes to the worst please if it is not physical we can talk to them but if it has gotten to the point where it is getting too physical please report because if that child dies police will come and arrest you neighbor they will say when all of this is happening, what did you do? I've seen it before when police went to one neighbor's house, one house and they were asking all the neighbors, didn't you know that this boy, this boy was being beaten? So what did you do? You will now become a uh, witness in the case that uh, you did not lose. So please, let's, let, let's, let's not turn a, a blind eye to this, to, to this abuse. Yeah, Mrs. Oluagbemileke, from the point of view of the law, what is what does this person what how can they help because they're they're focused on the kids that how can they help the children it is actually child abuse and so we have to get the parents involved you know so we don't joke with children and if we, we even have rescue operations when there's really a high risk situation for that so we have to invite the parents you know and you know domestic violence like a seven year imprisonment in Lagos state now so it's no joke it's a serious issue, and the awareness and sensitization is ongoing year in, year out. So what we do is we get the parents, we invite the parents to our office, and if it's at a thing, then we can charge them to court. We can prosecute. Okay. But if we find out from our assessment, because I'm a clinical psychologist, and I head the Department of Psychology, because not all cases we prosecute anyway. Even in marital issues, not all cases we prosecute. Some will say, man needs help. And we offer therapeutic interventions, marital counseling, and blah, blah, blah. And even the children who have, who have been affected, even today we have an ongoing support and healing group sessions for children who have witnessed violence so that they don't grow up as, you know, to become 
adults with those symptoms. We have it currently being ongoing now every weekend by the Lagos State. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because I hope that question is, um, has gotten enough answers. For, um, because there's a question I wanted to ask. Um, it's been proven that most abusers were abused themselves. Yes. So how does a person break that cycle of abuse if they are aware that they are this way because of what they've been through? Look at um, R. Kelly, for instance. All the atrocious trees he did to get But he was abused as a child, too. You know, If the person consciously wants to break free from that pattern, how do they go about that? They come for therapeutic intervention. So we do anger management and a whole lot. We do psychological assessment, overall psychological assessment to assess their personality and their well-being and ascertain the gaps that were actually, you know, not filled up during their childhood and begin to do interventions for them. So it's possible. And even before marriage, if you know you have certain issues or you know you've been through trauma, you've not healed, you have anger issues, seek for help. We are professionally trained and we are ready to help. And the services are free. Yeah, From the government too. We're not private. <laughs> yeah, but, but the services are free. But what does it mean for this person? What will it cost them? Not in terms of money. What do they need to bring with them to be able to do that? Because this, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not a walk, a walk in the park. So what should they be get ready for? In terms of, I didn't get your question properly. Um, psychologically, they say yeah. they want to break this pattern. So are they really, they, yeah. Okay, so they must acknowledge that they actually need help and there's actually a problem. Because some people are egoistic. They are not true to themselves. People are coming, you have hurt them by saying, lie, I don't have. And it's so glaring. You know, every little thing gets irritated. So we should acknowledge, nobody is perfect. I have this weakness. I'm not, even if unconsciously I, I learned it from childhood, I'm not a monster. I can still receive help. And they should seek out for help. Thank you. Doctor, when you were start telling your story, Ma, you mentioned church as some of the reasons, and some of the reasons you did not leave. You know, but there's a question here that you stayed in this marriage for 13 years. You know, that apart from these external reasons, why did you, as a person, didn't think you should leave this marriage? You know, that's one question. Then the other, the other end of that question is, if a young woman today is in that situation, like a year into an abusive relationship, what do you have to say to them? Um, why did I stay this long and I and now left after a long while? Um, initially, you know, I said I was, I've never seen abuse before. I never understood it. It's not like now that there's a lot of information about abuse that people go have different places to go to. Everybody's now afraid now. Nobody wants to die. It, there's a lot of awareness. Then, it was not common. And even you have to first of all understand it. So one of the reasons why I stayed, I was even trying to understand it. I didn't even know it existed. That's one. Then as I spoke to church people, I, I got conflicting um, result, um, information. They said, oh, a wise woman builds a house. And I knew that I'm trying my best. Something is just not right. So I kept trying all the methods. So there was victim shaming, like you probably are not doing as best as you can. Exactly. Without actually saying it, it was a Yes. Price. 
Because sometimes when I will go to somewhere, they will preempt me that uh -uh, you are you you are not patient. That you people that read book too much, you people you had calm down, calm down. You know, a wife you need to be so that's submissive. I don't know what they have used to hide under that. So did you start doubting yourself as a result of those things? Initially, I initially I was thinking maybe I'm maybe my wala is too much. Maybe I talk too much. But I've stopped talking now. Okay, I'm always playing with people too much. That's why won't somebody suspect me if I see a man, I will smile at him. They will think I'm, that maybe I'm playing too much. So I started doubting myself that maybe I'm not doing enough. So I said, okay, let me try. So I said, according to my own uh, understanding, I said, Holy Spirit, maybe... Holy Spirit, break me down more than this one. Maybe there's something that I am not just doing right. Or maybe there's something under this submission that I don't understand. So I will carry the scripture. I will cry. I will look at it back and forth. And because the people that were supposed to be elders in the church, some of them, I found out that they too are doing the same thing. Yes. So that one was one of the things. Then again, I told myself that my father and my mother, they are together. Where will I say I got my own from? So, so, and I'm the first child. So I was, that one was another one. Then again, I was a head of evangelism. <laughs> you understand? Head of choir department. Ah, you, be, you see now. So what will, and I'm always telling people this is the right thing. So, and they are looking up to me. So what will I tell these people? Then that, then let me, what will I tell a young person now? So it was like a gang up of everything against you. Yes. But when, later when I now understood, I stood by, for myself. Then one, I will advise a young person, which I am doing now. Because if I had seen somebody, one of the things that I think that I I did not have, which I will advise any young person here to have. Have somebody that is older, that is a mentor, that is married, that you can look up to, that can advise you before you marry. Because for me, all the signs were there. All the signs were complete. But I could not interpret it. So when I see young people now, once they say the story, I will interpret it for them. There was a day I saw a young nurse, so she was crying. I said, what's the problem? He said, eh, the boy, her boyfriend is angry with her, and that he called her 14 times, and he pushed her, and he said he, that I did not pick his call. I said, my sister, you have not seen husband, though. You have to move. <laughs> I was not mixing words. True. You have to move. Mm. I now told her, I said, this person is angry for 14 missed calls. He's already suspecting you. Mm. By the time... He marries, it's only, it's only anger. It will now turn from uh, verbal abuse to physical abuse. That please, you have not seen a boyfriend. Talk less of your husband. So if I see somebody with all these uh, sinister or pointers, I don't miss words. I will tell them because if I saw an older person that advised me correctly because I had all the signs, maybe I wouldn't have done what I did. But you know God, despite everything, God always finds a way to compensate you with everything in your life. You understand? Thank you, ma.
Um, I, I would like to ask you, you know, in counseling, they teach us that you don't tell people what to do. Just give them the options that are available to them. So how do you draw a line sometimes? Because when you have a personal story and it's similar to what the person is saying, so how do you draw the line between sharing your story in a subtle way to say this is what you should do and just giving them options? Okay, so there's actually a difference between counseling and therapy. Counseling is for everyday life challenges. Okay, I'm having work-life balance issues or some mere challenges in my marriage, something that you can... But therapy is for dealing with long-seated issues, and there are usually protocols for that. You know, therapy starts from people who have childhood issues, you know, difficult psychological problems that they actually need help for. And there are protocols and intervention treatment plans for that. And before we even start the therapy, the person's consent is gotten, the person is, talk, is you know, put through what it entails, and there's an agreement. So it's more of giving enlightenment to that person. For instance, somebody who is in domestic violence situation, we've done a lot of analysis and said, oh, this person lacks social skills, or this person has poor conflict resolution skills, you know, or sometimes even in marriage, uh, when we're doing marital therapy for couples, there's marital therapy and there's marriage counseling, you know. So we find out that they don't even know how to resolve conflicts. You understand? And there's already an agreement anyway, and they are willing to cooperate with whatever we are enlightening them with because they lack those skills. So that's different from counseling. Counseling is these are the pros, these are the cons. If you do this, this is the consequence. We go make your informed decision. We just empower them with the information they need. So that distinction between yes. counseling and therapy is very important. Therapy is like seeing a doctor for malaria mm -hmm. and getting prescription for it, right? Yes. Thank you. Um, the next question I want to ask is, um, I'll ask uh, Brother sorry, Shek. Sorry, just one. Getting prescription and getting treatments. <laughs> prescription and treatment. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to ask um, Brother Shegun. How does a man handle domestic or emotional abuse without resorting to abuse himself? or without losing his self-esteem as a man? Yes. Take that question again. If, like, a man is in an abusive situation, okay. how does he handle it without him resorting to abuse in retaliation and then be him being able to keep his dignity as a man? Because society expects him to be strong, manly, and not cry foul. Okay. I think... Part of the issues we have is this society, society, society things. So it's difficult. It's, it's quite difficult. I'm, I'm sure we all watched this, the story of Pastor Enor. The beauty of it is that she was the one telling her story. Right? And we also listened to her story too. So I think it's a very, it's a big challenge. The first thing is, there was something interesting about Pastor Enos' story. She said, how did she even get to the point to know that she was even abusing her husband? Was that she had understanding. So, how many people easily get to that point? So, the case of my friend, for example, he doesn't understand that. He just feels like, there are points he gets to and he feels like something is wrong with me. So I think that um, society has not helped us to be able to understand certain things. I just learned something again today that there's a difference between counseling and therapy. We, 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 are, we, are, we are so used to the issue of counseling and we tell people to go for counseling and all of that. And these things don't solve the problem, really. 
we just heard again today that you need to have to deal with some issues that are long-standing. Then we, we must, and I must be very, um, I think I must commend the organizers of this forum. These are the kind of things we must continue to have that will help such people to understand that they really have a problem, first of all, and seek for help. Because a lot of people don't even know that they are, it's not a man who knows that he's in an abusive situation that will want to go for help. Do you understand? So it's, it's tough. It's not easy. Imagine a story, for example. She got to a point and she began to ask herself, is it that my mouth is too sharp and all of that? So I think it's a very tough thing. So education, enlightenment is one thing that I think will help people to be able to get out of it and first of all even understand that, oh, I think there's an issue here and who do I go to again? Sometimes, too, the issue of who do I go to becomes a problem. Um, she talked about elders in church, for example, you go to who... And sometimes, you, okay, I told you, for example, he, in his case, he, when he talks to friends, they will look at him and laugh at him and say, you're not a man. And they're probably facing the same thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, and they will tell you things like this. I say, you can't try, she can't try that in my house. If she tries it. So that becomes like a solution. But you see, in his case, because he's a calm guy, he's a gentleman, he can't do those things that they are doing, which is abusive now. So he just... Let me just respect myself and sit down where I am. And Now, let me tell you another thing. There was a point in his life where he began to feel like, should I just send this woman to just go abroad? So that when she goes abroad, I will just know that Do you understand? It's still because he doesn't even know the solution to the problem. And that's not the solution to the problem. So enlightenment is important. Understanding for people is important. And forums like these in church, because most of the victims are in church. Okay, thank you. Um, we know from all that we've heard that it's, diff- it's, um, it's, it's different for a man and a woman when it comes to remitting domestic abuse. And you mentioned the fact that sometimes your friends will laugh at you as a man. Let, and please give the mic to Star Omi. Um, so the question, one of the, the, uh, part of the question I asked is, how does a man handle it so that he doesn't become an abuser himself, so to speak? Thank you. Um, I heard about a similar situation. The lady was actually verbally abusing the man. It got to a very extreme stage, but thankfully he had friends and mentors and he spoke to them. So one of the lessons is when someone tells you there are issues, please do not just wave it aside. It's time we start embracing people and believing people when they tell us some of the stories. So what did the uh, mentor advise? At some point, they asked him to move to their house so that he could get his sanity. Because he was also at the verge of injecting his wife. He was also a doctor. He was also at the verge of doing it. He was thinking of extremes. So they took him out of the house. Kept, I mean, he stayed in the house with them. And the next thing was... My wife needs help. I mean, I'm not just going to go back after a while. I need her to go through therapy, counseling, and all of that. So, the woman, after the man left the house, she realized that something was wrong, you know. She was now crying. She was breaking down. The son, Meanwhile, he was still talking to the son at home, and the son was giving him feedback that mommy is not the same. You know, she's crying. She's all over 
But she had to go through that counseling and probably therapy. So, first of all, I think that, I mean, we need to embrace the fact that men are also going through it. And they should also be able to, you know, step out of this marriage or step out of the home at some point in order for them not to compound the issues. Like she said, I mean, it is the person who has not been doing anything. The day he decides to, it's a compounded thing. And that is when something happens and, I mean, who knows, he might eventually go to jail or something for just a single act in response to the many. So he needs to take a, he needs to take a step out of that home, if need be. Help the woman to get counsel and therapy. It may not be him. It may, be, it may have to be someone else or an organization. Let me also add. You know, it is in organizations that people do emotional intelligence training. Please, it's also applicable at home. It's also applicable in our individual lives. And permit me, we also need to be doing these 360 degree feedbacks. You, you shout at people and you don't know. You need people around you to tell you. Do scorecards for yourself. You let your children assess you. Let your friends ask. Let, you know, just get some feedback and get a feel of who you are. It's also very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's a question here. How do you, as a 22, um, a, a young person in their 20s, get involved in a situation where your father abuses your mother right in front of you? Like, there's an abuse in the home. The father is abusing the mother. And you're an adult in the house. And you're their child. I hope that's the question. Uh, the, it's very, very important that um, as children, as, as, because that is no longer, that, that person is no longer a child. And without being disrespectful, there are times that you will find your father in an amiable mood. Okay, in an amiable mood, you can po po point scenarios and say, "Ah, daddy, there's one guy I'm even dating, but the guy slapped me the day before yesterday. My eye boosted." You will, you will check the reaction of the father. Most, most likely, most likely, he will not like it. Because you see, when you do something to other people, you you don't you don't like it when it is done to you. You know, or you can pose a question and say, oh, that is, I, I really love the way you handle mommy in the house, the way you slap her when she's making, I, I want to marry a man like you. The person must be able to slap me because sometimes my head is not always correct. What if he said, oh, that's, that, that's great. If he says that's great, then you know that his matter, his matter is a different matter. And so, because most times, most times, most times, fathers love their daughters. And unless you have a very strained relationship with your father, most likely the fathers treat their daughters like their princesses. So when you start posing those kind of... So when he says, how can you allow that? I say, but you have been doing it to mommy now. That's what you do to mommy now, and that's what we see. So it's very likely that my brother is going to be an abuser, and I'm going to... I mean, I'm going to navigate towards an abuser, because that, that's what I'm seeing. So sometimes you need to have frank discussions with them when they are not in an angry state. You need to have an, also have emotional intelligence to know when you can approach them. And 
just let them know that this is what we're seeing here and it is not augering well for us. And it may likely... Now, if you've done all, you've done all of that and, you know, you have not... Um, you need to ask your mother's permission because there are some women too, like she said, you know, in, some, in, in her situation up to a point, she didn't want help. She just, she just wanted to manage it. So you need to ask your mother's permission. Mommy, do you want to continue managing this matter like this? We are not angry with you if you decide to leave. You can leave this marriage. We will support you. We will be by you. Don't, don't, and, you know, if she says she's willing to, then you help her. And if she's not willing, there's really nothing you can do in that situation. Unless you want to report it to, and if you go and report and she says, like they would say, evidence. There's no evidence. And the person you are fighting for, you say, we have a happy home. Do you understand? But you need to dissociate yourself from that, you know, from that so that it will not, and you need to also go for therapy so that you will not also be, you know, a, a victim of what you are seeing. Okay. Um, it's a part of it. Sometimes you may have to force the person out as an adult. Uh, you know, um, you know, I told you the day my parents came to pick me that they said I've done enough. I was still saying we'll discuss this thing in the morning. I believe that was one of the best decisions they took because that night one person would have died. I doubt, and I think I don't think it's going to be me that night. Because my parents said, you have done enough. Come. I was still trying to pack my things. They said, no, don't carry, leave the car. It was after I left, I realized that they really helped me. So sometimes for adults, if you are, you are is your mother or your father, whoever, because when the, if one person dies, that's the end. And again, don't forget that sometimes emotional abuse, the person may not die, but they have abused the person. The person doesn't have orientation of themselves anymore mentally. So when you see either a mother or a father, you will get the person out of the place by force. Yeah, but in this case, it's a child. An adult uh, the, child. You said an adult child. That's the definition. You usually say a child. Yes. You will get the, you, the, you will tell the man, I am taking my mother out of this place. Thank you. I want to follow up on that question. The issue of transference. Transference, when you see something happen and then they get into the tendency to be in the same situation. I know someone who was an adult and their father was a drunk and was always abusing their mother. He would say things like, nobody should sit in the living room to watch TV. And then she was the first one. And she stood up to him and said, look, this is my grandfather's house. You don't have a house. You can't, this is my grandfather's house. So you can't tell me not to sit here. If you build a house, I can go there. But for now, this is where I want to be. And then she tells him, if you beat my mother again, I'll kill you. And he stopped doing that. But she's found herself in a pattern of abusive relationship. That's on the home front. Sometimes you work in an office and your boss is abusive, always yelling, always, you know, demeaning people. And then your subconscious, you think that is the way to treat subordinates. And then you become a boss and you're acting like that. How does one break from those kind of patterns? Thank you. So I think we're doing a lot of awareness on that. And it still has to do with us. Um, we as human beings recognizing what is right and what is wrong. Particularly, sometimes we may not know ourselves. Other people are a mirror. I can't see myself. You can see me better and vice versa. So if people are complaining that, oh, you have an attitude or there's an issue, or you are frequently getting into quarrel with somebody, you have to also check yourself. It's always good to have an objective mind in life. You know, it's even part of conflict resolution, some of the steps. You should come out of the picture and have an objective analysis of the whole situation. You understand? 
act as a neutral judge and check yourself too, whether per chance you also have some issues that you need to work on because nobody is perfect. You understand? So I just wanted to also chip something in. I don't know <laughs> from what she said earlier. It's not that each every case is evidence, evidence. Because when there's a domestic violence issue, and particularly if the person is not going to be prosecuted, if the person is referred for therapy or counseling, sometimes they say, I still want my marriage back, but I want this man to change. Though, what we do initially is immediate separation. Once there's severe violence that the person has to escape, we help the person to separate. But while they are temporarily separated, both of them can be coming for therapy. And we say, give it or take. If you are convinced that this person is truly changed, even if it's one year. Because sometimes, I've had cases, though they are rare, of a particular man, he had all the worst traits, you know, drinking, smoking, beating his wife, not being responsible. Today, the wife came to report, we even had to make the man leave because she was even the one that paid for the house rent. And those periods humbled the man. He kept on calling, coming for tell that he needs help. He wants to be a better person. You know, and truthfully, he went through the whole therapy session and came back and was giving test the wife, not even also, that the man has really changed. Because sometimes some men, that's why I said the person must be willing. Some men, sometimes in marriage, conflict is an opportunity for growth. You know, when there's heat, it means that both parties need to work on their weaknesses for the happiness and the future of that marriage, you know, and for their children. So, I'm not saying, but initially, when it's life-threatening, you have to separate. But we're not saying automatically start divorcing. You understand? Even if it's one, two years separation for as long as, if the person is still willing, because sometimes that period makes that person sober and really have time to check himself or herself and say, ah, it's true, I have certain things, I need help, and begin to work on themselves. And then, if the other person grants them the permission, (laughs) you know, or is fully convinced, you know, Doctor, um, I want to ask you, um, did your ex-husband ever apologize to you for anything, for all of this? Uh, Yes, many times. But you know it's a cycle, it will repeat itself. No, I meant at the last show, like after you left and on his reflection upon everything. Okay, the last or the last show, no. No. So what do you do in a situation where... The abuser never apologizes or minimizes your pain or say things like, eh, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that. If you didn't do that, ah, well, is it not just this small thing? Why are you crying now? Ah, I just pushed you and you fell. So in that case, what do you do really? Anybody can answer it. When your abuser refuses to apologize, how do you move on or they minimize your pain? Um, for me, um, I'll say because over time, when he abused, there's this abuse uh, begging, I now got to the point that the apology wasn't important. It's just a matter of time. Another one, I had to work on myself. That's why I said bitterness. I had to work on myself that this, my life is in God, not in my my own uh, situation. So I do not, till today he has not apologized to me. And I said I've forgiven him. I don't even need him to, to come and meet me to say I'm sorry. I have forgiven him and I've moved. So, you don't need some, because some people may never apologize. So you should not hold, wait. As a child of God, you need to forgive. You don't have to wait for anybody to apologize to you. Nobody has the ability to ease anybody's pain. It's only God. Yeah. 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 Y
okay, Pastor Shade, when your pain is minimized, but it doesn't stop you from feeling what you're feeling, how do you deal with that? So that you're not asking yourself, maybe I'm actually overreacting, as this person is saying. For me, I think that um, you need to understand, you need to appreciate what it is that you've, you, are, you have been through and what you're going through. But you see, that's the difference between us and the world. As children of God, you need to get to the point where you can forgive and you have to forgive. I was listening to a woman of God one day and she was saying something about, oh, you said somebody slapped you, somebody backstabbed you, somebody beat you, somebody did this to you, somebody did that to you. They did worse to Jesus. His brothers did not believe in him. His mother set him up. His friends abandoned him. His countrymen were the ones that set him up to be killed. So what is the new thing? Or are you different from Stephen, whom his own people were stoning him to death? A slow and painful death. And yet he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you are forgiving, you do it more for yourself than for the other person. Because when you are in unforgiveness, you are stuck in the past. And you will find out that when you are unforgiving, anytime something like that comes up, it will trigger it again in you. Whether it is your sister, somebody did like this, say, eh, Mabare, Mabare, that was how it started. It's, it's stemming from the unforgiveness that is still within you. And you can ask God for help. You can, you can go for that. For me, I believe that healing comes from God. Therapists can help you to be able to understand and to mentally move on. But the healing part of it, in the recesses of your heart that nobody can reach, comes from God. And you have to be vulnerable with God. There's no, there's no need um, proving that you are strong. He says, he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Go to God and say, Lord, you know me. This person has hurt me so deeply. I'm finding it difficult for because this person hurt me. It's natural to be hurt. We have this emotion, but you can forgive. You can start from that point, like she said. I also have been in that situation before. It wasn't a domestic one, but it was one that I, it was people, bosses that I, I felt so, I felt I, I could trust them. And I felt betrayed. I've said this story before. I was walking on the, on, on Bagada Woroshoki Expressway in the middle of the night, around eight o'clock. There was nobody there. I could have been robbed. I could have been, I could have been harassed. I could have been, you know, anything could have happened to me. I was walking alone on that road and I was shedding tears. And I just kept calling the name of the people and I kept calling their name. So, so person, I forgive you. So, so person, I forgive you. There were three of them. And I kept, I was going on that road. I didn't take my phone. My husband didn't know where I was. He was panicking. I was on that road from Trem side all the way to almost um, after um, Charlie Boy's side. All alone in the night. And I just kept saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. And I was crying. So yes, you will be hurt. You, you, I mean, your emotions will be there. But I have healed. I see them today and I greet them happy birthday. Anywhere I see them, I can hug them because I have healed. But it took God, you know, my dependency on the power of God to heal me. Because at that point, nobody could help me. It was only God. So it's important as children of God, to, for, to forgive and let God heal you. If not, you will not have a wholesome relationship with other people. When you see something like that in another person, you, all your, you know, 
guards her up and that person may not be like the other person. Yeah, so not sweeping things under the carpet, processing them and allow the Holy Spirit to help you heal. Thank you very much. Um, The next question about third party interference in a marriage. And the question is, most times in marriage situations, the the wife's family, they are free to come in and out as they want. But most times the husband's family can't do that. So why is that and how can that be resolved? What can the man do? And when the man complains, the woman, wife is on the defensive. Okay, I, I, I want to understand something. As a woman, as a woman, or intending couples, there are some rules and laws that you must put in place. And when you put in place, they must be binding on both of you. So your own parents and your siblings cannot have access to the home while his own does not have access to their same brother. Because it could be a form of abuse. So it looks as if you are stripping him of all his support support structure. So when you woes him or your sister comes in and begins to insult him, there's no way he will go to. Because, you know, you have already stripped him. Praise God. We cannot be, we cannot allow ourselves to be selfish. Even when those people you feel that they are, uh, they are coming is, is detrimental to you. There is a way that you can have a conversation with your spouse so much so that, you know, you begin to build, you will begin to shield you. I don't think anybody can come into my house from my husband's side and begin to mess up with me and my husband will keep quiet. Even if he doesn't want to expose them, he will speak his language to them. They will get it. Are you understanding me? Because it is another form of abuse. Yeah. When you strip people of their support, like they said, it's a form of, um, what they call it, domination. When you strip them of, because he may feel naked, he's vulnerable. There's nobody else they can talk. I know a situation like that. It, it was a neighbor. All her sisters could have access. And then unfortunately, the guy didn't have a job, a well-paying job at that time. And this lady was, she was, she was doing well in an airline company. And all her siblings, everybody, her mother, they will come to the house, they will wash the man down. But if the sister manages to step into the house, it is wahala. No. You have married into that family. You need to understand it. Marriage is not me and my husband. Get the memo. It is not me and my husband. Because sometimes if you treat these people well, they will be your, they will be your strong forces. I remember when my father used to, you know, he used to, you know, sometimes he would just do something with my stepmother like that. It was my grandmother that said, look, I will not recognize any other woman except this girl. You bring any other woman, it's me and her. So they now became her own defense. So we need to understand that they are not your enemies. If not, they would not have allowed you to marry your, your husband. Praise God. They would have frustrated your life. So let's always, let's not be suspicious. Don't always go into marriage with a suspicious mind. Because if you do, you will, you will have what you think. You will have what you expect. Praise the name of the Lord. I will just give one example. I remember when I was growing up, and it's also a matter of our upbringing. When I was growing up, I grew up with my grandmother. And my grandmother did not have a good relationship with her own mother-in-law. Her husband is the first son. So you can imagine, she was like, ah, don't allow uh, mother-in-law. Their wahala is too much. This one and that one. They will frustrate you. They will shake a nickel. So all of us were guarded. 
In fact, when I grew up and I, I became a Christian and a believer, I used to pray a prayer. I used to tell God, I said, God, I don't, I don't want to have love mother-in-law. So please, can you just make sure that my mother-in-law is dead? I'm telling you my whole, my true style story. I used to tell God, I said, God, I, I think fathers-in-law are better. So please, just help me to excuse my mother-in-law from planet Earth. I don't want, I'm telling you my story. And I used to pray that prayer a lot. I used to pray that prayer a lot. And then one day, I guess God was just tired of me. Of that, my foolish request. And he, he knew that I, I didn't know better. And so he, he told me one day, he said, Shade, you have been asking for this prayer. And I am about to answer your prayer. However, in the future, when somebody prays this same prayer for you, I will answer it. He said, in the future, if somebody prays the same prayer for you, that means the person is praying that I should not be alive, I will answer it on their behalf because I answered your own that I should kill your mother-in-law. I said, ah. I didn't know the implication, no. I said, sir, please, sir. You see that, that uh, prayer request? Let me to tear it too. I don't, I don't want again. So I changed my prayer point. And I started saying, my, my mother-in-law will love me. My, my sister's-in-law, they will be my friends. And I happened to marry my, my, my sister-in-law's husband, my friend's brother. Praise the name of the Lord. And we have, we have a friendly relationship. Does that mean we don't have quarrels? Yes, we do. But we have a wonderful relationship. Praise the name of the Lord. So please let's not see our in-laws as our enemies. They are not. Thank you. I have two more questions from here, and there's somebody who wants to ask their question in person. There's a lady who was sexually abused when she was younger, and now she's married, and she's having intimacy issues with her husband. What's the, what's the help available for her? What should she do? Okay, so definitely she, has, she did not get the opportunity for closure. We call it closure, to heal from the whole um, wound. of the. So she needs help, therapy help. Therapeutic this time around, not even counseling. She needs therapy. Therapeutic Yes, she needs to be a professional, a clinical psychologist. It's not okay. all psychologist, clinical, clinical psychologist. Clinical psychologist. So, except her pastor is a clinical psychologist. That's, That's past pastor. <laughs> this is professional. Pastor can just do counseling for her, yeah. you know, and then refer. Okay. Can do like a first aid for her and then refer. Because it's a long term treatment. Okay, so I have a three-pronged question. Is how does one know, um, know the signs that an intended, somebody you want to marry is an abuser? And then can you marry a man, marry somebody older than you? And what age is the maturity age for marriage? <laughs> okay, signs. From this cycle, I mean, I'm speaking from my profession anyway. So everybody's speaking from their own um, field, yes. There are so many. We look at personality issues, you know. A man who is very impulsive. Understand? I always say impulsive. It's not that calm. Anything comes, anything goes at the moment. A man who is emotionally unstable. Emotionally unstable could be temperamental, could be moody. Could have mood swings, he can't control his emotions. Be it anger, be it when he's sad, you know. And, and most times, when you're emotionally unstable like that, most of them are, have had a history of trauma or unresolved issues from childhood. 
You know, because you can just see some people moody. One moment they are happy, the next moment they are sad. There are issues, though. You know, don't just take that. That's her nature. There are issues. You know, a man who is controlling, who is very domineering, who is forceful, because we are backed up by law that everybody has fundamental human rights. You can't force anybody, be it even your spouse. But unfortunately, we are having conflict with traditional beliefs. Who says a man is, you know, I think turned upside down, or is the Bible turned upside down? You understand? Even if you want somebody to do something, there are ways you can communicate to the person. But being forceful, nobody has a right to force another human being against his or her own will. So if you're in a relationship with someone that is forceful, is dominating, is domineering, wants to, you must dress like this. Even if you feel the dressing, there are ways you can communicate. Ah, this is your dressing, doesn't, but don't force it. If the person chooses to hear you, oh, well, and good. You know, a man who is forceful, domineering, or, and vice versa, not only for women also, who is, you know, and, and, and a lot of people don't know they have domineering personalities and they begin to play out in marital life. They want to control the man, or the man wants to control the wife, and vice versa. They want their own will to be done. You know, those are warning signs. They have a picture they painted in their heads, and they want yes, to make sure yes, it, it yes. plays out well. Yes, I don't want to be gender biased, but I see it more even in women. It's just that men are more of the ego type, you understand? But women always want to be in control of things, always want to be in charge, you know? But if you know you have those traits, you have to start working on yourself, either in the marriage or before marriage, to allow the person to also have his own free will, or own breathing space, to say, okay, but this is what I want. And if you feel it's not okay, will you tell the person, I see there will be a fault or there will be... Leave the person and then you can't force the person. You have no rights. We have to respect each other's free will. You know, so these are the little, little signs we look at. Emotional instability, somebody who is um, highly egoistic. You know, he's always praising himself, talking about himself, likes excessive admiration. No, I'm telling you, he's and her. Let me not be biased. Yeah. You know, he's or uh, you know, some people just like attention-seeking behavior. They always feel that they are the best. Always saying that ah, this person. Or, and then we also look at paranoid tendencies. Some people are actually paranoid, probably from childhood also experiences, negative experiences in life. They have trust issues. They're always suspicious of other people. You go and marry that kind of person before you even reach where you are going to. The person is already calling you because the person is thinking, where has he or she gone? To? But then that the person must have had a history of negative experience that he has not resolved and is carrying it into the marital life. You know, suspicious tendencies, always suspecting. That's why you can see the person starts stalking, calling every now and then because he doesn't trust his or her spouse. So these are the warning signs we need to look out for. Okay. So can a man marry somebody who is older than him or who is of a higher economic or social status than him? Yes. A man can marry a woman who is older than him or who has uh, more economic status than him. Now, um, some people would think that, oh, because I am the man, I should have more money. That's what makes you the man. But you see, unfortunately, the world we live in today is not like that. In those days, in the years past, um, People tend to think that leader of the house is by muzzle. Uh, because what we do much was about the strength of what you can do. People go into farming, people go into other things. That's the source of wealth and all of that. But now it's about intelligence. And not even in the world today. And not even in our world today where things are changing. I'll give you an example. In my own office now, there's a policy right now that more women must be employed 
than men. So that means they're going to have more women get more economic value than their husbands. So what do you do in that instance? So if you don't deal with that now as a man, you think that oh, the table could even turn around. Let me give you a good example. When we got married, my wife was any more than me. But it didn't stop me from doing, playing my role as a man. And I just said to myself, I need to blank out of this so that I don't allow this thing make you feel inferior or not. And no, it doesn't make you feel inferior. You can start the work. There are people who marry as, as uh, colleagues. True. You start on the same day. You think the guy has prospects. But because of certain circumstances and all of that, the woman rose faster than the man. So are you going to say, I can't marry again because you have now gone ahead of me? It doesn't work that way. I was in Abuja three weeks ago, and uh, one man was telling me that, uh, he said, uh, um, I met my friend in Calabar, and we were talking. And he said, the man said, I just did sit down for house now. I know they do anything. This is a man who was a successful man when he was in his heydays as a man. He said, uh, he said now my wife, they do everything now. The wife is now a PAMSEC in Akwaibom State, where they live. This was a man I knew very well here in Lagos. They were doing very well. He was taking care of the family, doing everything. But he has retired. The money is no longer there as it was before. But the woman is very wealthy now. So he said they laughed over it and said, well, you said you don't try now. You don't play your role. So um, let mommy to take care of you now. You know, and all of that. And they are doing well. There's no crime about that. So imagine if the man had victimized his wife while he was having money. Now that the tables have turned around. And sometimes people don't even think, things can really turn around in the future. You could have health challenges, you can't, not because you are not good, you are not smart and all of that, you could lose your job. And if you have maltreated your wife because you feel like you are a man and you have the money, so when the table turns around, what do you expect her to do? So, that's it. Please, I'd like to add something to that. The person who asked this question really needs to take a learning on what makes you a man. Because there is so much concentration on the financial aspect. Or, exactly. exactly. I mean, a lot of times the focus when we paint the scenario is she's any more than me. Is that what makes your home? Is that what makes your marriage? Is that what makes you who you are? You need to know who you are. You need to understand the values you can bring you know, to, to her as a person and to the family as a, as a person. So it's very important. Let's not keep the focus always on the financial, exactly. but the total well-being of everyone. Thank you. Yeah, I, I just to buttress that, I think it's important that men, and even women realize that, that your value is not in money. And we tend to do that a lot. I remember recently on um, in Clubhouse, there was a room that was up, and they said that women don't invest in their husbands. I won't say the ethnicity of the people that were there, but you can tell their mindset. And I, when I got into the room, I'm like, what do you mean? Some of these women gave up their dreams to raise your children. How much investment do you want from her? So after raising your children, making sure you are fine, she should also give you money. I mean, what's your point, really? So you just value, your value of her is only how much money she can give you and how much money you give. Because for you, you've been contributing to your family is only in the money you are giving them. You are not quantifying the time you spend taking your kids to school, making sure your wife is okay and all of those things. So I think it's important that we don't just measure ourselves with financially, especially as Christians, because we're much more than that. And very briefly, the age to be married. 
Okay, before I talk about the age to be married, and I, I'm not sure whether I'm the one that will answer that question. Maybe I'll throw that to Pastor Shadi. I just want to mention that sometimes, too, um, women tend to put themselves in that situation where they make the man feel like money is important in the game. Some years ago, I th- I've shared this with my wife and a, a couple of people. And I've also talked about this matter with uh, Sasha before. Maybe you've forgotten. There was a lady that had a challenge, which I referred to you some years ago. So when the, she had that challenge, I, she now said, we need to talk. I need to tell you some things based on what happened. And she said, meet me at our office at Ikeja. Um, let's meet there. So we met there. And when we met there, she now said, uh, we need to go into one of the, she, she couldn't talk, she couldn't discuss that matter in the, in the office. She said, let's go to the eatery next door on, is it Okwebi Red? Okwebi, uh, sweet sensation also. Then the next thing she said, no, no, not sweet sensation, that there's, I didn't even know there was one restaurant, like a Chinese or something restaurant on that road. And she took us to the restaurant. The moment we entered the restaurant, ah, I said, no, Allah don't come today. We're going to buy something. Where is the money? You know? In my mind, I was already thinking of costs and all of that. Then we entered and she, she said, she ordered for the food and the drinks and everything. In my mind, I just quickly calculated everything. The thing was going to some thousands of naira. I said, okay, at least I have money in my pocket to bail myself out and all of that. Then when we finished talking and she called for the bill, the bill and you see another thing again, the guy who brings the bill, we go to the man. So the guy brought the bill to me, and me too, I was ready. I was bringing out my wallet to give my ATM, and she said, no. She said, why are you doing this? I said, how? She said, that's wrong. He said, that's the problem I have with Nigerian men. I said, okay, tell me what's the problem. She said, I invited you out for a meeting. It is my responsibility to take care of that. I had never heard that from a woman before in my life. So a lot of ladies, when you are going out with your guy, the moment you say, where are we going to today? We are going to the cinemas. You just believe that the bill must be on him. So the guy also believes that, well, that is the situation. Uh, you, you understand? So we also give this impression that it's about the money. Uh, so you, you are taking me out. You are not going to spend. Uh, me, I'm not going out with you. If you are not. No, it's not all about the money all of the time. If you have sometimes, also begin to tell him that you are also responsible. So that we don't get it, we don't get this mix of, uh, is the man that should bring the money. The woman should not bring the money. Or if the woman brings the money, then the man becomes, he's no longer a man. No, it doesn't make him not a man. So, the, on the issue of the right age to get married, I'll hand over the mic to... Praise God. Um, the age of marriage is a relative age. There are some people that are 40 years old. If they marry, they will not last six months. They are not matured. So we should be asking rather, it's of rather, rather age of my age of marriage. We should be asking how mature is the person? Praise God. It is maturity because I will give you an example. I remember, I mean, we were brought up to, to think that age is equivalent to maturity. But we saw it in the Bible when the friends of Job were talking nonsense to him. And I think it was, I can't remember the guy, is it, Je, is it, the, is it Jehu or, or what's his name? Is it Jehu? He said, I thought that age should speak. 
and length of days should speak with experience. That was why me, as I'm young, among all of you, I kept quiet. He said, but I have now realized, Elihu, thank you. He said, I have now realized that there is a spirit in man and it is the inspiration of the Almighty that gives him wisdom. Praise God. And on, 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 when we get to that point of understanding, you know, what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman, then we will realize that we are ready to marry. Most of our parents married at the age of 18. 17. And they, they held a good marriage. They were not as educated as we were. And yet their marriages were solid. They had their challenges. So can we say that our age or our education is adding to our problem now? So it is more of maturity. I remember when a couple wanted to get married. Many years ago in our church, they were 25. Was it 20, 22, 20, between 22 and 25? I told my husband, I said, Lai, Lai, we, we will not marry them. Oh. Moses said, why? I said, number one, the first offense that they have is that they are age mates. See me coming with traditional mind. First offense, they are age mates. The same age. I say, only walk. There will be no submission. Number two, I think they are both 24, 24, be 23. I said, they are too young. Today, they are, their marriage is strong. Their marriage is an envy. If I, I don't want to talk too much because, I mean, you will get who I'm talking about, but there are things that at their age, some men will not take. They will not even be able to accept. And the marriage is, is a testimonial. So there is no age range. I would say yes, um, maybe like 21 for education purpose. For education purpose, and I want you to hear me clearly. For education purpose, okay, let's say minimum of 21 because we want you to at least have, you know, something that you have, uh, you have gone through. And I'm not talking about formal education. Get me into context. It could be that you want to learn a trade because we learned from the, um, the other speaker, Mrs. Vivo, yes, that you need to be empowered because one of the causes of, um, abuse is when the woman does not have means of living so she's in the relationship there was another case in my house like that this guy married he was a neighbor of us this guy married a very young girl we didn't even know that the girl was young was even a minor but she was big so we didn't know until issues started and when we when it got to a point where even my husband couldn't take for my husband not to take something again you know that you have pushed him to the wall you have opened the wall you have put him inside it my husband couldn't take it in my mother said, leave this relationship. She said, what will I do? Because she had an HND degree with, uh, with a, uh, two um, upper class, upper credits. He didn't even allow her to collect the certificates. So she was totally dependent on him. And the first thing she said to me when I, because I didn't know. So was the mother was saying, why are you allowing yourself to go through this kind of thing? He was in moral loss in school. You that you are educated. And I said, eh? Are you educated? She said, yes. I said, oh, I know she went to, you know, a polytechnic. So I thought it was OND. He said, no, that is not OND. That is HND with upper credit. I said, eh? Where is your certificate? He said, I, I don't have it. I said, eh? You don't have what? He said, if any time I go out, you always are asking me, where am I going? You'll be chasing me. The people will be telling him, she's now in Ikeja. Oh, she has gone to Nyingbo. Oh, she's now in uh, uh, Abuliegba. She's now. 
As in, he detailed people. I said, number one thing, first of all, go and get your certificate. First of all, go and get it. So, she was able to leave, even though she thought she would not survive, but she had gotten to the point where she thought, she said to herself, whether I live or I die, you know, I will leave. She left maybe at 21, and she had two children. So, you could see how how old she was when she got married. I think she was about 21 when she left the, the relationship. But she's surviving now. Okay? So for the sake of empowerment, okay? And she wouldn't have survived that much if she had not had her HND. So she got a job and she started her life. So for the sake of having something to fall back on, you need maybe maybe between 20, 21, then we can say that is the minimum age for marriage. Is um, about the boy child. Um, when you have, um, and where to draw the line between discipline your child and child abuse. When you have a rebellious child or an hyper child, hyperactive child, and you've gotten, like, I don't know how to explain it, you want to discipline the child as well as you want to watch how you do it. Because even the Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. Beating your child, punishing your child, or as you said, yelling. Because as parents, you get to the limit. Especially when you have an hyper child. You've gotten to the limit and you really don't know what to do. You yell. I have a son like that. I yell a lot because I'm on the quiet side. So for him to hear me, I have to shout. I have to yell. I have to. And sometimes I feel okay. Even sometimes when I do that, it doesn't stop. So what do you do? And where do you draw the line between abuse? Because sometimes I feel it's abuse. Sometimes I feel okay, I've gone to the limit. When, where do you draw the line between abuse and discipline your child? Okay. Um, hyperactive. So first of all, um, I like to always remind parents of boys that your child is not defective because he's hyperactive. Sometimes it's just the way, you know, they are wired. They have hormones that, you know, qualifies them as men, okay? Um, number two is you need to watch what is eaten. Again, what these children eat sometimes contributes to the hyperactiveness. So you may need to watch the sugar level. You may need to... Number three, I tell people who have boys or a boy that when they are still in their toddler age, you don't have any business arranging your home or decorating your home if you would not allow them to go and play outside. They've got to exert that energy. Give them sufficient space and time to exert their energy. It helps them a lot. Take him out during the weekend if you don't have time during the week. Let him go and play football. You need to dedicate that time. Let him break down that energy. Sincerely, he needs to play and get it out. Now, when it comes to discipline, there will definitely be some things that he will want or that he will like. And you can negotiate with him. Sorry to say, that is the world we live in today. And I think it makes a lot of sense rather than bitter. Because you don't want to lose him if he's not hearing you. You don't want to. I mean, it can be the biggest mistake we will make, you know, when he's not listening to us anymore. 
All right, because we, we yell now, and so they don't, I mean, even when you're saying it, we can talk outside of this because I think I'm, I can see that they are being conscious of time. So, you can give him some punishment that, you know, I would deprive you of this, you know, just so that you can have this. Again, continue speaking. I mean, we've heard of two boys particularly that uh, they are hearing you. They are hearing you. It's only a matter of time. Give him time. You see, honestly, at his age, at his age, you really cannot, and Mrs. Giwa can also help me here because, I mean, she has a courage. These boys, you will tell them, they cannot sit down. That is their age. They cannot. Look, if you have a son who is bubbly and he begins to sit down, I will worry. I will worry for you. So please embrace this, his energy right now. And help him channel it, you know, in the areas of strength, okay? But I'll talk more with you after this. Okay, thank you. So we have just two more questions before we round off. One, because we've talked about home, domestic, and all that. This is a work-related question. And is how do you handle um, sexual and emotional abuse at work? And there's a scenario. Somebody is saying that they have a boss that is emotionally abusive and all of that, and they've reported to the department, nothing has been done. How do you deal with that? Pastor Shadi and Okay, yes, because um, about two or three years ago, our agency, that's Domestic and Sexual Violence Agency, we, we visited workplaces, making sensitizations and knowing, you know, normally every work organization has sexual harassment policies. They all have their rules and all that. However, we wanted to see whether they're actually implementing those policies. And we are still open to that. You know, we're trying to partner with them. But I think since it's not a domestic issue, but if it's a sexual issue, we're also interested because we're also dealing with sexual issues too. So they can also come and report. You understand? Yes, they can come and report to our agency. It's a sexual harassment. Even if we partner with a lot of work organizations, you understand? So they should feel free. They can contact our hotlines also if there's any issue. But I, I, I want to believe that within the workplace, they should have some measures of um, discipline, disciplinary action. Yeah, but they have reported that nothing has happened. That's what this person says, that okay, they have so, reported the boss. So our agency is open to that. We deal with sexual harassment cases also. Okay. Um, part of the conversations... Uh, I mean, why we are here today is more because there's a lot of lack of awareness about some of these things we're talking about. Uh, I think a few months back, a top management guy in my company was fired because of an issue like this. It was in the news. It was everywhere. Uh, last week, somebody told me again that there's another top-level management staff who has, been, who has gone on suspension because it's there's zero tolerance for that. So we have helplines where people can call anonymously and report cases and all of that. And the more we make people aware of these things, the more we get out of these troubles. Because I know, for example, several years ago when uh, I was in another office, how a lot of women, some of them even married, who could not resist it because of this issue of financial liberty we talk about. Maybe at the home front, they had issues. They had a job. They want to secure the job. The man is, the guy is threatening and say, if you don't do it, I will sack you. They will succumb and all of that. But now there's more awareness in the workplace. And thank God for Lagos State. 
if you don't get it from your workplace, please call the Lagos State um, Domestic uh, Violence uh, team, and I'm sure they'll, be, they'll come to your aid. Thank you. Um, I, 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 I think that you should try as much as possible to get your HR involved. Sometimes we get to some points where we do not go beyond a particular point. Now, if you've gotten your HR involved in this matter, another way you can do it, first of all, before you even get legal states involved, get a lawyer to write to them and tell them that this is what my client is experiencing. And as a result of this, we may be forced to take legal action against the company and address it to the MD. Address it to the MD so that the MD understands in financial terms the implication. Now, if they now, if at that point nothing was, has been done, because I always tell people, if you are going to fight that battle, you should be sure of your performance. Do not be a shoddy employee that they will not bring performance appraisal of three years to say, uh, look at, She's 62, 62 average. We have been managing her before. She's just using this man as a, as an escape route. Do you understand? Make sure that you are doing your job well, that people can commend your job and you have your appraisal scores to show where you are at within the organization. So when you're, when your lawyer is writing to them, they know that this is a, a, a serious matter. And I always tell people, when you are going to court, Go to the court with the intention that as I'm coming back, I'm not going longer going to be an employee because some companies may not take you again. So you will you will manage your case. You will the kind of money you will ask for should be able to settle you into a business. Are you getting what I'm saying? But you need to first of all do all your escalations. If you have a disciplinary uh, manual, look at what it is. Is it first line, second line, third line? Let it be on record. Are you getting me? That you have done all the needful. So that by the time you are going to industrial courts, which is the one for, you know, um, for employees and employers, by the time you are going to industrial court, like they say, you have built up a body of evidence that the company cannot gain say. And I can tell you for free, unless that manager is a, owner, is a member of the family that owns that company, no company wants to part with 100 million naira, 50 million naira because of one person. They will rather sack that manager instead of them. Because as they are going, you know, bloggers too can carry it. And you know, we have this spirit of me too. You start seeing this one to come at me too, me too, me too. So they don't know how far it can go. So they will rather dismiss the staff than go that far. But make sure that you have done your, you have done your work. And if you need to call, I mean, if you are going to Lagos State, you know, they, they too, that one is also another body of evidence that you are holding. Okay, thank you. So finally, the, que the last question is to you, ma'am. Uh, statistically, what is the success rate of the, all the therapies you've done? No, it's been good, but the only limitations we have is that some people start, and by the time they start seeing improvement, they don't complete it. You understand? They don't complete, they rush back. And before you know it, trouble starts again. Yeah, like However, we are still opening. Yes, Let's say for those that follow through, it has been, I'm not trying to credit our, our agency, but 70%. But for those that follow through, but on the average, if you don't follow through, 
We still don't hear issues again. They don't come back to us again for any problem or any challenge, except just few cases. But once they've started, you know, and it's not all the time that we bring the people rush back. Sometimes they just want to heal and move on with their lives. They're not interested in the marriage again. You understand? So we don't even involve, we ask them, what do you want? Oh, some say, I want my marriage back. We say, okay, we have to attend to both of you separately. Then you'll be the one to decide whether you want to go back. If you are sure that the man has truly changed, you know, it's you. We're not the ones going to recommend go back or not, but we are going to attend to the man and help him. Some others say, I'm not interested in the man. I just want to heal. I just want to move on with my life, you know. For those that come to heal, good. Even those that come as couples and cooperate with the process, it's always good. Thank you. In summary, um, from what we've heard from all of the speakers today and answers to most of the questions, just as the Bible says we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds, it's dependent on everybody involved. Nobody will do anything for you. The Holy Spirit won't if you don't ask him. The therapist will help you if you don't ask for help. Nobody will do anything. So it's our responsibility to ask for help and do whatever we need to heal. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an awesome time. Hallelujah. The Lord told me to do this, and I just want to uh, trust him. Hallelujah. And this is not shaming anybody. It could be from your childhood, like we said. There are some things that has happened to you from childhood that you transferred into the relationship or that you are struggling with, that you are fighting with. Hallelujah. Now, there are people. uh, um, I wrote them down. And just permit me. While I was praying yesterday, the, the Lord gave me some. Hallelujah. The Lord gave me some categories of people, you know, that, that need to be healed. Hallelujah. And he, he showed me the scripture. Praise God. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, for the TPT version, he says, are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy load? Pardon me, my, my, my phone. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, TPT version says, are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? It says, come to me. I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you will discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment in me. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it says, On that day, God will end the bondage of his people. He will break the yoke of slavery of their necks and destroy it as decreed. Hallelujah. There's some of us, 
we've been carrying this hurt over the years. We've been carrying this burden. But God wants to heal us this afternoon. He wants to say, you know what, just come to me. It doesn't have to be domestic violence. And I always tell people, when I started my opening, uh, opening message today, I said, in our church, we don't believe in it. We support people. And there's no status that is inferior to the other. That you are single does not make you inferior to the married. That you are married does not make you inferior to the divorced. Hallelujah. We are here to help each other out. And I always tell people, it is because another, it is another person's child. If it was your own child, that they were beating and battering, that they are about to kill, how many of us will see that child on a, on a, on a bed for six weeks and we say, okay, after you have finished show, go back to your husband's house. We don't do that here. We will not be a part of it. Hallelujah. And that is why this top, this, this conference is called demystifying singleness, marriage and divorce. Because the divorcee never planned it. She never planned to be a divorcee. He never planned to be a divorcee. Something happened. And as brethren, we are supposed to support each other. We're supposed to help each other. Hallelujah. We're supposed to uphold each other. So God wants to use this opportunity to minister to those who have been hurting over the years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have tried to forget the abuse and have swept it under the carpet. But when something triggers, this is, as the Lord was speaking to me last night or early this morning, it was around to one and I was just writing it. And as it was telling me I was writing, it says, you have tried to do, to forget the abuse. And I've swept it under the carpet. But when something triggers it, you surprise yourself. There's healing in the house. He said, you do not even know that you suffer from abuse. But today has opened your eyes to why you have been behaving the way you have. God wants to heal your heart. You have refused to re forgive your abuser and holding on to grudges. You abuse anyone or any person who seems to have a semblance to your abuser. There's healing in the house. You realize that you have been the abuser and you want God to help you to become better. There is healing in the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you are in any of these categories, it's not the time to be shy, to be saying, ah, what will people say of me? What will people think of me? It's time for you to come out and be healed. God, he said to me, he said, he said lay your hands on them and I will heal them. Hallelujah. If there's anybody in the house or whether you are watching me online, if you are watching me online, just Put your hands on the, on the screen and, and, and just trust God that there will be a healing. That there will be a healing. The healer is in the house. He wants to make you perfectly whole. He wants to make you perfectly whole. There is no father. No father that will see his child suffering and will not want to help. Just like her father decided to take her out of that situation just like the father forcefully took her out that no you will not die I will not let you die you have tried you have tried to do it by yourself you have done all the mental thing they told you to do the motivation thing they told you to do you have said it all you have done it all but you are still hurting the healer is in the house. Can I get olive oil, please? The healer is in the house. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole again. That's why I said, 
I'm so emotional about it because I know what people have gone through. I have been through my own. There are times in my there were there were times in my life that I needed God to heal me because if I hear the person's name, just the name, I will be so I will be so upset from within. And God said, you can't do this. You will hurt yourself. You are hurting yourself because it's only healed people that can help others. So in my quiet places, I've, I've told God, God, help me, God. I'm, I need help. Lord, I need help. I was telling my people one day that there was someone, it wasn't that I didn't, the person didn't tell me to my face. I just heard that somebody that was supposed to be close to me said some negative things about me. The person never spoke to me. But you know, I carried that thing for so many years. I was hurt. I was so hurt. If maybe I'm calling a family member and then the family member that says, ah, so-so person is here. Oh, can you speak to the person? I will cut the phone straight. I will cut it. I don't even want to, I don't even want to be, I don't even want to breathe the same air that the person. Brethren, I was a believer. I was taught, I was a, I'm a, at that time I was a pastor. But that, that thing was eating deep into me. At that point in my life, if the person needed five naira to survive, five naira, at that point, I will not give it, even though I have it. So one day God captured me and said, you are dealing enough. I said, no, I don't look for the person's trouble. You know how it is. I mind my business. I don't look for the person's trouble. God said, you are, you are dealing in serious unforgiveness and it's going to hurt you. So, do you know what God told me? God told me that I should go and buy completes. You know what they call completes? Agbada, Buba, Shokoto, shoes, cap. I said, for what? For who? God said, for this person. For this person, you will buy it. Because this is the beginning of your healing. You need to buy it. So, with tears and grudgingly, I, I put the money. But do you know that that was where my healing came from? Today I can be in the same environment with the person and it's gone. There was nobody that could have gotten, nobody could have told me to do that. Nobody. As much as I love my grandfather, and I used to tell people that there's, there are some people that I cannot, I cannot say no to them. If my grandfather had woken up from the dead and said, you have to do this, I would say, Grandpa, you better go back to the land of the dead. Because I'm not going to do this. With all due respect, I'm not doing this. But it was only God that could reach me. Because a lot of people didn't even know what I was going through. And like I said, this man didn't talk to me. I just heard that he said, he said, they said that he said that. But God wants to heal us. Heal me, Lord, and I will be Save me and I will be saved.
But it seems as if the ulcer is not going, but it's getting worse. He says it's because of unforgiveness. He said if you will switch and begin to forgive that person that has hurt you, he says that ulcer will dry up and you will not need medication again. He says that if you can just ask me for help to forgive this person he says that ulcer will dry up as suddenly as it came it will go the same way There's someone here that you have you experience palpitation of hearts. Palpitation. Palpitation. And it was as a result of the things you suffered in the time past. Palpitation of heart. You just experienced sudden palpitation. And it was as a result of your experiences. Abuse experiences. 
I speak healing to that heart. In the name of Jesus. I speak healing to that heart. I command the heart to be strong. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, Father, we give you praise. Thank you for what you have done during this conference. Thank you, Father God. Oh, thank you for broken hearts are healed. Thank you, Father God, because we are informed. We are transformed. Oh, thank you, Father God, because, Lord, our status in life, oh God, is not depending on our marital status. And, Father God, we receive comfort. We receive comfort. We receive comfort. We receive comfort. In the name of Jesus, we speak to every alien marriage. We ask the power of God to begin to walk in the lives of these ones. In the name of Jesus, we speak healing to every sick marriage. We speak healing to every alien marriage. In the name of Jesus, we declare our singles will marry well. In the name of Jesus, Father God, for those who are divorced, we ask oh God that we help them. Lord, they will be strengthened. Lord, you will strengthen them. You will empower them. In the name of Jesus. Father, you are the God of many chances, oh God. For, uh, for those that are looking up to you for another marriage, oh God. Father, you will give them a brother. You will give them a man that will love them. A man that will cause all that they have experienced to go to the bitter path and remain in the past. You will give them a new beginning. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and we give you glory for all that you have done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's just give him thanks. Let's give him thanks. Let's give him praise. Let's thank him for the healings that have occurred in this place today. Let's thank him for the people who have spoken from their hearts to us today. Let's pray for the panelists. Let's pray that even in their own way they'll continue to reach out to God they'll continue to be strong and they'll continue to be strengthened for the people that came out to be prayed for let's declare that their healings are permanent in the name of Jesus their healings are permanent in the name of Jesus no more no more of such pain in the name of Jesus father we exalt you hallelujah in Jesus' master name, we have prayed. Amen. We'd like to say a big thank you to everyone. Because, you know, it's really not usually easy to have meetings on Saturdays. We'd like to say a big thank you. Thank you so much, Ma. Thank you to all the other panelists. Please, let's give them a wonderful round of applause. Thank you for creating the time. We have learned so much. I know a lot of people have found the strength to go on. And I know the people who weren't even sure of what to do now have direction. They have instruction. 
your coming here today has, you know, given somebody hope. It has given someone light, and we really appreciate you for that. Thank you so much, Ma. And a big thank you to all the other panelists who are not here anymore. Do we have any first-timers? Anybody that's in the church for the first time, or this is your first time?